professional music critics on the internet, Travis, Zach, and Josh. What up, everybody? Hello, and welcome back to the, what is this, sixth? And final Zappa podcast episode. Yeah, is it six? I think it's six, yeah. As, as I've said every time for like the last four episodes, that's right, folks, you heard right. It is episode six over three years in. <laughs> yeah. And we are still not finished with this. Yeah. <clears throat> Shit just gets in the damn way. But, uh, Shit. Uh, it's been a minute since we didn't talk, man. What you've been up to? Well, mostly the same stuff as before, you know. Work, family stuff, you know. <laughs> a lot of stuff happened in 2021. A lot, a lot of it is not good. <laughs> yeah. uh, and so uh, we just we just haven't had the opportunity to uh, get together and do one of these in a long time. Yeah, this year, damn, I fucking, I think right around April, uh, all the supply chain issues kind of fucked us up over at my job. So from April till um, at least the end of August, it was seven days straight. Um, yeah. And damn... All, like, this whole year, and even after August, but August is where uh, me and Stas went on our um, anniversary vacation, and then uh, after that, we had every other Sunday off here and there, but it was still seven days a week for the most part until here uh, recently. And so this whole year is a complete blur. I have I have a decent amount of memories from from January till April, but then after that yeah. it's straight up going to work, <laughs> coming home, going to work, coming home. Uh so it's been a mess. Um haven't been able to do nearly as many uh videos or record as many songs. Um, thankfully, we do a we do like you know a week to two week that long shutdown every year around Christmas. So I've been able to uh, finish my solo album at least recording the music. We still have to uh, doctor up the album cover a little bit, then send it all to Spotify and all that shit. But um, hopefully, yeah. Congratulations on getting that stuff up on streaming. You know. Yeah, thanks. It's actually kind of damn easy. Uh, fucking, there's this uh, website called DistroKid where I think you pay. Oh, yeah. yeah, you only pay like. I've, I, heard, I've heard of it. I've heard of it. I've never used it, but I've heard of it. Yeah, it's like you pay. I can't remember if it's twenty a year or forty a year. I can't remember what the fuck I paid. But they not only throw it on Spotify, but they throw it on every streaming service out there. Amazon and Apple yeah. and Deezer and Tidal, yeah, all got, that shit. I got Apple Music. 
and I, I was able to find your stuff on on there. Yeah, so that, it was one of those one huh. of those situations where I I uh, it was one of those. <laughs> the main reason I have Apple Music is that there was a year somebody gave me an Apple one of them Apple uh, iTunes cards for Christmas. Yeah, and I used it to I used it to buy to buy a. I think it was the free trial of the Apple Music, and I forgot to unsubscribe. Eh. But yeah, no, it's it's. I feel I feel you on that. Like I got more out than you guys did, but I still like. I was I was when I started out in February. I was like I was like I'm. This is gonna be the year. I finally do a video a week, like I said I was going to do in 2019, and I did it for a little bit, and then life got in the way, and so it's been like a video a month for the last, really since August. Yeah, I'm trying to, I'm trying to in my head come up with something that I can do by myself, uh, instead of having to try and get me, Zach, and Josh, or even David, it's harder to get David over. Um, because he's got two kids and a wife, and then they moved out to Lagrange. So, yeah. but uh, yeah. I need a. I'm, I'm in my head. I'm trying to come up with something I can do by myself. But I think I might just bring cover ups back. Um, that's a, that seems like a good thing. I will. I will say it's been a minute since you guys did anything with copyrighted stuff. The bots have gotten to be such a pain. Yeah, so that's, that's what's holding me back is uh, I'm trying to figure out how could I do that with using the least amount of the music in it as possible. I mean, back in the day, I was, I was able to confuse the bots by uh, playing 10 seconds of a, of a part of a song and, yeah. then, and then fading it out. And, and, yeah. You know, if you talk loud enough over at the bot, I wouldn't notice a lot of the time, but now, now it's like you put a track where it's barely audible, and the bot is like, "This belongs to Universal Music Group." So it's like, I put them in the, I put them in the track intros, and I think I'm getting pretty soon. It's going to get to the point where I'm not even going to put them into the track intros. <laughs> Seriously, it's fucking ridiculous. Um. But shit, uh, I guess let's fucking get started on this shit. Yeah, so this is, how many albums are we got today? I mean, it's, it's... Um, today we have, I got it pulled up, today we're talking about, uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine albums. Um... Nine yeah, albums. That's a that was a that was a lot to listen to in like three Dude, days. Yeah, because every one of them, just about what maybe seven out of nine, long. six out of nine are fucking double albums that are over two hours long. I remember I was talking to you, I was texting you last night about this. <laughs> you were like, I was like. Dude, I'm finishing up ahead of the ahead of our time. I mean, you're like, man, it is late for you to be on that. <laughs> Yeah. I, I finished up, uh, I finished up, uh, I actually finished up Civilization about 15 minutes before the call began. <laughs> Damn. Um, so I, have, I, I, I listened to Yellow Shark, uh, last, late last night as I was going to sleep, and I have, 
I'll go in more in depth. Is I have fallen asleep listening to Civilization Phase Three before. I do not recommend it. It is not a good experience. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that album um, that album will give you uh, nightmares when you're awake. That is that album belongs. It belongs to a to a select few. Uh, I, have, I have a funny story about this. Again, I'll share when we get there. Albums that have that I have fallen asleep listening to, woken up in the middle of, and been having an anxiety attack because of that. <laughs> but yeah, so we are doing, and all of, I think the whole the whole run that we're doing is so. In terms of when it was recorded, the, the stuff we're doing ranges from like 1967 to, I think, like 1991, 92, um, 93 in the case of Civilization. But in terms of when it's released, it's about it's about a four year window. Yeah. From 91 when Frank is you know he's not doing well, he's he's sick, he's dying, to uh, Civilization. Phase three, which is re- really, if we were going to be strict about it, we would end it with the Yellow Shark. Yeah, um, as far as albums released in his lifetime, but yeah, uh, because Civilization Phase three is technically not released until almost a year after his death. Yeah, and then at the same time, though, it's the last bit of new music that he was recording as a, an official album. Yeah. That he had yeah. finished before he died, so, like, it kind of has to be added there. Like, to me, it it begins the post-humanist phase, um, but the music yeah. isn't necessarily just random shit thrown together <laughs> yeah, just no, to uh, was... keep the Zappa Trust earning money. Exactly. Like he was working on it. It exists. Um, I have the, I have always kind of had a theory. Again, I'll get to it. We'll get to it when we get to it. That that album is in a way about his death, or at the very least, that there's a vibe about that hanging over that whole album. Yeah. Yeah. But so we begin with. Uh, I actually thought we began with "You Can't Do That on Stage Anymore." Or, actually, it begins with the best band you've never heard in your life. Which is between, um, I call it, I call it the little, it's another trilogy of live albums where you got Broadway, The Hard Way, Best Band, and Make a Jazz Noise Here, which are up there... (laughs) With to me the as far as the '80s band goes, to me it's up there with the level of quality as stuff like Zappa in New York and um, um, damn, what's the other one? Roxy. Roxy and Elsewhere. Yeah, like to me those are they feel like continuations of that. Um, whereas Roxy and New York, you've got the, the 70s band, and then with this one, you've got the 80s band. And to me, it's some of the best shit that the 80s band uh, has put together, um, especially out of the, his 80s live albums. Um, to me, because uh, what do we have in the 80s as far as live albums go? 
Um, yeah. You got, you got, uh, Tinseltown Rebellion, you got, uh, if you want to count them, you have the Shut Up and Play Your Guitar albums. Yeah. Um, you have just humor belonging music. Oh, yeah. Which, which is not. That is, that is, the only reason that album should exist is that it has the, like, the long version of Let's Go, Let's Move to Cleveland. Yeah. It's not a, it's, it's not a very essential, um, no. kind no. of album. So, out of all the 80s live, and I do like Tinseltown Rebellion a lot, but out of the 80s live albums, these three are the best. Um, I, I would agree with that. And it's, it's, it's especially, and it's like, we've been, the last two episodes of this podcast have been pretty negative. Yeah, you know, and I hate it because I love the shit out of uh, Zappa and all his crew, but man, I mean, you know, people talk about how prolific he was as far as releasing music, but I'm like, man, the last, uh, you know, five, six years the of his life. The last ten years of his life. Yeah. is mostly just uh, live stuff, and it, it feels like a lot of overlap, because when you got three great uh, 80s band live albums, like uh, Band and Jazz and uh, Broadway, but then you get the 80s band on a whole ton of the You Can't Do That on Stage Anymore, and it's to me it's relatively boring. It's... It's redundant, is what it is. There's yeah. a lot of redundancy in his '80s live stuff, where it's it's like you said this in one of the one of the last episodes, and this is kind of a lead into the talking about '88 live albums again. Is that uh, there's a lot of stuff, particularly that is introduced in like the late '70s after Zootaloo's, that is it's good music. But it gets, when you go through all of Zappa's live albums, it gets to be how many times are we going to hear The Torture Never Stops? Yeah, Torture Never Stops, Redunzel. How many times are we going to hear Black Napkins? Yeah, yeah, Blank like, Page. I mean, and they're all great fucking songs, but, you know. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Fucking, I want to hear, the dude has so much different shit. And another thing is when, when they do go through early, early mother stuff, it almost feels like they're trying to get it over with. Like, here's a mother song, shut up, you know? Because yeah. they, they, yeah. they, they speed through them. They really speed through them, which, I mean, they're great, and I'm glad to have them on there, and I'm glad to hear them. But uh, I'm like, man, you guys, there is so much other stuff you guys just aren't playing. Um and a lot of that early mother stuff is short. Yeah. You know, it's not, like, I'm glad, like, to, to get into the album. I'm glad he's not taking Who Needs the Peace Corps and using it as a vehicle for, like, a 12-minute Frank Zappa guitar solo. Yeah. But, like, no, like, what, that's one of the things I like about this album and, um, make, a, and uh, make a Jazz Noise here is that they're, they bring back a lot more of that, those early Mother's tracks. Like, like this, this album has Who Needs the Peace Corps, and then it has, it goes into the, uh, or no, actually, no, I'm wrong. I was thinking of the other one. It's the other one that goes into the classic 
uh, trouble every day, uh, Orange County lumber truck, oh no, medley that they, they, they used to do a lot. But this one has a lot of really great tracks, like Mr. Green Jeans. Yeah, Mr. Green that, Jeans is great on here. Um, and even the tracks on here that are uh, that are tracks that he that were played to death are are sort of refreshed by the horn section, and that's yeah. something that's true on Make a Jazz Noise here as well. Yeah, that's another reason I like them so much is because, like you said, the songs are refreshed, and um, that's a thing that I always um, loved about Zappa Live albums is he always found a way to refresh those same old songs. Um, and every live album felt like its own studio album because the songs you may have heard are uh, incredibly different than these studio versions. Uh, it's not like, uh, a Frank Zappa album is not like a Marilyn Manson live album or a <laughs> Rob Zombie live album, you know? Um, oh, God. Fucking, yeah. it's, it's an experience all in itself, just like the studio albums. And, uh, but dude, like, if you got a motherfucking love, the, the covers on here, man, the Ring of Fire cover alone is worth uh, getting into oh, this yeah. album. And, and you got, I, I wish I knew which member of the band is, but he's doing this. In cowboy voice. Yeah, fucking, I fell into a burning ring of fire. Like, whoever does that fucking cowboy voice on these, uh, on these live albums, because I've heard them a lot before on, I can't remember which ones, but you get the, Hi-ho, silver, away! That thing, I think that's on Broadway the hard way. Um, yeah, because isn't that the same voice on uh, Elvis has just left the building? I think it, it, it yeah, I believe it is. I believe it is. Um, and then there's a, there's a, <laughs> the, the, the weird conceptual continuity uh, with, the, I think, Hi-ho, silver as well, is if I remember correctly, it's on Cosmic Debris, um, where he's like, with the oil of high-ho silver. Yeah. <laughs> the dust of the grand <laughs> Oh, my God, yeah. And then, uh, you gotta love, you gotta love the, um, it's, it's one of, this is also one of the things where it's like, they, they're talking about, um, events, and they are satirizing events that were hugely, hugely in the news at that point in time. Yeah. Yeah. And if you're somebody who doesn't know, you're you you're like, what what is this about? You know, why are you guys shitting on this swagger guy? But yeah, the dude was a televangelist that got caught with a uh, with a prostitute, and uh, it was it was hilarious. And uh, you, I just yeah. love the lonesome cowboy Jim version. Um, and. <laughs> The, uh, what's the other one? Yeah, the Penguin in Bondage swaggered version. More trouble every day. Yeah, dude. <laughs> it's fucking, it's great. Um. And you get, you get the, the Eric Dolphy Memorial Barbecue. Yeah, which, for, I would say, for the 88 band, would you say that's actually pretty rare? I would say for for really any Zappa band post the original Mothers, that's a pretty rare track. Yeah. 
Like, like, because it's, it's the, the thing about that track is that that track, and really about the original Mothers as a whole, and we'll get to that when we get to You Can't Do That on Stage Anymore, Volume 5, is that the original Mothers, fittingly for a group who released an album called Freak Out, had, like, they had this freaky, wild, out-there side to them that none of Zappa's bands afterwards really have. Yeah, that is you know? true. That original Mothers, man, that... After Freak Out, man, they turned into, to me, probably still one of the greatest avant-garde fucking oh, yeah. bands uh, out there before and after. Like, nobody... I mean, there's avant-garde bands, but they're... Original there's Mothers, nobody, man. There's nobody quite like the original Mothers of Invention who would, you know, you could go from like a like a, a, a perfectly serviceable like bar blues song to like chamber pop modern classical to like high-pitched screaming while four saxophones do free jazz in the background. Yeah. And... And the thing is that, like, every Zappa band after them, with the exception of Flo and Ed, the Flo and Eddie band, the Flo and Eddie band was, they were, they were looser and freakier than any of the bands after them, but, like, they were, they were loose in the way that, like, a great classic rock band is loose, you know? Like, and then you get to Roxy, and the the Roxy here and the bands after that, and they're all, they're so controlled, everything is so tight. They have their freak-out moments, but it'll be like a drum solo or Frank Zappa doing a, a guitar solo for 12 minutes or, like, talking about sniffing panties from the audience. And yeah. It's not the same. Definitely, definitely is not the same. And fucking... I'll talk more about Flo and Eddie uh, when we get closer to the end of this one. Yeah, but yeah. Funny thing about Original Mothers is... Uh, I don't play original mothers all that much. Like if, like, let's say me and Stas are chilling and I'm playing some music, I don't play original mothers all that much because um, Stas <laughs> is not really into annoying music. And fucking, <laughs> it'll it like I'll, I remember when I first got Weasels, um, I was playing it and it just got to that one part with the donkey horn and it's just wah wah yeah, wah. People like even, even, even like I would say it's like cruising with Ruben and the Jets, burnt weenie sandwich, um, some of freak out. But like even there, like people, those people start raising their their eyebrows when you get to the part of uh, cruising with Ruben and the Jets where it's like stuff up the cracks, turn on the gas. Yeah. Because, uh, funnily enough, especially we're talking about original mothers being wild and uh, delightfully annoying, is Freak Out is probably the most accessible, easy to listen to uh, album in Frank Zappa's discography um, with a little handful of weird fucking moments. And, uh, I mean, and that's, and that's mostly if somebody likes 60s-style 
fucking psychedelic blues kind of shit. Yeah, yeah, it's like, and even like, like, even what I would say is the most normal of the Flo and Eddie albums, like, uh, oh, like Chunga? Chunga's Revenge still yeah. has, still has, like, uh, um, Rudy Wants to Buy Us a Drink, you know, uh, just another band from L.A. has an entire track about child molestation. Yeah, that's the uh, Magdalena, right? <laughs> yeah. And, like, I hate it, dude, because I absolutely love the fuck out of that song. It's just best not to think about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's like the, the music, the music is, uh, the music is so good. But the lyrics, and it's like, it's the funny thing, too, is it's like, you can tell that was like an earlier stage of Frank Zappa's humor. Yeah, but the way because I look like, at it, it's, though, is it's not necessarily Zappa or the musician's uh, point of view or them actually no, doing no, that. No, not it's, at all. It's the, it's the fucked up character that the song is about. So Exactly, no. No, what I was, what I was getting at it is that you can tell it's an earlier stage in his in his humor because the the joke of the song is about how pathetic the father character is. Yeah, and it's it is played so silly, which can be jarring in its own way. But like, if if like eighties Frank Zappa made that song, it would have been unlistenable because it would have been just mean to everybody. Yeah, but um, but so yeah. Back yeah, the, no, this album, this album has a lot of just this. This album and the next album are like they might actually be better than Zappa in New York. I think I might actually like these more than I like Zappa in New York. I I, I can agree with you uh, on on some days because some days I'm listening to these and I'm like, man, these these are so fucking good. And it's like that's why I say the these three are up there on the top level with New York and Roxy, as far as, like, his album, his live albums that are acclaimed, um, these three definitely deserve to be up there in that spot with those two. Because not a lot of people talk about these three. Uh, you always hear people talk about New York or Roxy, but uh, these three definitely um, deserve to be... Um, praised as much as those two, uh, especially with just the weird covers, man, like, oh, yeah. the like, cover like of keep, Purple he, Haze with, um, Ike, Ike Willis doing the, um, the, what is it? The, the thing fish voice? Yeah, the thing, fucking Purple Haze, all in my mind, <laughs> you know, it's like, and you what? have, like, you have, like, the, it's, it's almost like hip-hop backing track. Yeah, it's like this weird industrial hip hoppy fucking just it's creepy sounding. And they have the they even have the the like the riff that ends the verses being like the 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 weird that weird eighties voice key sample sound. Yeah, the oh 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 like, it's really one of the most interesting arrangements of that song I've ever heard. Yeah. And even though it falls into Frank Zappa's weird thing he did in the 80s, where, like, Frank Zappa... 
Maybe it's because he was there and he saw everything go down, but, like, Frank Zappa seemed to, like, really, really hate that there were people who thought that 60s music was still good. <laughs> like, <clears throat> like, he really seems to have a problem with that in the 80s. The one thing, the one thing I do, I do say about this album, because I, I remember I said in the last episode that this is the definitive version of Let's Move to Cleveland. I do, I agree and I disagree, because, like, it is, this version of Let's Move to Cleveland is so good. And Let's Move to Cleveland is one of the greatest, like, later Zappa compositions. But at the same time, Let's Move to Cleveland is almost like, it's like 80s, uh, it's like 80s Little House I Used to Live. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a track that you could chop up into little bits, and we'll get to that when we get to part five. Or you can do like a crazy long version of it. And I almost wish with this band that they would have done a crazy long version of it. Yeah, definitely. Um, but... Yeah, before Let's Move to Cleveland, you've got a weird cover of Sunshine of Your Love by fucking Cream, which it yeah. just it flows in so well with uh, the Purple Haze. Yes, it does. But it then almost seamless. Yeah, and then how about the to me a really perfect cover of the Godfather theme. Like Jesus, man, and Bonanza, like throwing Bonanza in um, right before Lonesome Cowboy Burt. Um, apparently, and this kills me because I would love to hear this. Apparently, they did a lot of these on this tour, and there there was an entire medley they did out of Beatles songs. Ah, oh, dude, that would have been amazing. That they were not able to release for legal reasons. Yeah, that I don't would... exactly know what the le I don't exactly know what the legal reasons are. I don't know how the law has changed because I know um, many. And I know this is a band you're into, so you'll probably know about this. Many years down the road, Fish, one of their live Fish releases is there was a con. They did a Halloween show in '94 where they did the entire White Album. Yeah, yeah, that's a fish thing. They they call it a. Uh, it's basically the the music Halloween costume where they come out and on their Halloween shows and instead of playing their music, they they play uh, somebody else's and they and it's normally um, an album all the way through. Like they've done, I believe they've done. Um, God, what's the one? What's the one Rolling Stones album? The uh, Exile on Main yeah, Street. Yeah, yeah. You know they've done I, tons I, of them. One of them, I don't remember which one it was. It wasn't. I don't think it was the White Album one. They were gonna do Joe's Garage. The fans voted for Joe's Garage, but Fish were kind of uncomfortable with that. I can I can so see they, it because they kill they kill um, Peaches and Regalia, um, and. I believe that they'd be able to do it, but I think I it's think that's just too much that they would vibe. have to learn. I think it's the vibe more than anything else is that fish fish I mean their their whole thing is that is it's that like blissed out mellow thing they got they inherited from the dead, you know. Yeah, they're 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 more of a fun band. They're not really 
into doing dark material. They're not. They're not mean like Frank Zappa. Yeah. So I, know, I'm sure they could kill Joe's Garage, but as far as the the lyrical content, I can see them not being uh, too into it. Because I'm sure they could do it. Because it's like you 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 get stuff like uh, I I'm not sure they they do like really difficult time signatures that much, but this. One of the things they do that has always impressed me, uh, and it actually is funny, I didn't under, fully understand it until I listened to the live albums, was that um, the part of You Enjoy Myself, where it goes from the second solo into the you know building and building and building part, in the studio on Junta, it sounds like a bad edit. <laughs> but when you hear the live albums, it's like, oh, no, it's like, damn, they're actually stopping on a dime and moving into something else really, really fast. Yeah, man. But anyway, no, I don't, I just, I don't fully understand why fish were allowed to do that, but Frank Zappa wasn't, but, you know, it was ten years later, so maybe, maybe, maybe there have been some legal changes, I don't know. Yeah, um, but, uh, and then the Stairway to Heaven cover is, uh, it's played fairly straight, um, but it's damn good. I think it's I think it's better for being played straight. Yeah, because I mean they're all, which is fine because like I mean you have the only ones that are really played straight are The Godfather and uh, Stairway. Uh, so it's like they got the they got to goof off on all these other covers. So it's fine to have um, at least one yeah. of them played pretty pretty straight. And it's 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 just it's great to hear because it is such a different version of Stairway to Heaven. Like doing the guitar solo with the horns. Yeah. Like, <laughs> like it is it is it is probably the best version of that song. That not I won't say that it's the best cover of that that song I've ever heard. Yeah, that is uh, that is the damn truth. Um, so, are we done talking about best band? Uh, do you want to rate it? I rate this. I I haven't done this a lot. I'm gonna I'm gonna, but I'm feeling generous today. I'm gonna give this a ten. Yeah, it's definitely a ten. I'm gonna give this a ten. This is in this is like a this and especially the next album are like. They are easily top five Zappa Live albums. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, so, now we move on to You Can't Do That On Stage Volume 4. <coughs> and it's one that, to me, is a lot better than 3. I would agree with that. It's still, it's still like, uh, it's not one I go back to, but it is, it is a lot better than three, because, because it is, it is one where he gets really creative with the editing. Yeah, because this, this one, this one is up there with the, as far as the... Um, the You Can't Do That On Stage albums with the 80s stuff, 
for the most part, is probably one of the better ones for me. I would agree. I would agree with that because what what this what this what it feels like the the last three may, well maybe less so six but like four and five really feel like Frank was trying to establish a continuum between every era of his music. Yeah. This is around the time. Also, this is this is well beyond the purview of this podcast. Uh, this was around the time he released the the Beat the Boots series. Yeah. Which I have a couple of digitally, mostly like there's there's a seventies one. There's I think there's two that are like bootleg quality snippets of original mother shows. Um. There's one with the 67 band. There's one with the 69 band. So I have a couple of those. Um, and he seemed to be he seemed to be to an extent softening on his back catalog as he went along. But there's a lot. Yeah, there's a there is so much editing on this one, and really interesting editing too. Like you go from from something that was recorded in the 80s to something that was recorded in the 70s. Yep. And, and just all mashed together. Like, the the version of Let's Move to Cleveland with Archie Shep that is like a, a synthesis of like two different recordings ten years apart. Yeah. And it, it is sounds perfectly composed you know, mm -hmm. uh, you get like a cool Tinseltown Rebellion era version of Love of My Life. You know, Pound for a Brown. It's a, it's it's not, as I said, it's not one I go back to, but there's a lot of really cool, cool stuff yeah. on this album. Pound for a Brown. That's that's one of my uh, that's one of my favorites um, from the old days. Because uh, that's on absolutely free, isn't it? I think it's on Uncle Me. It's on Uncle Me. Uncle yeah, Me, and that's, I, it does. It does follow. Oh, I'm thinking of brown shoes. Don't make it. Yeah, it, it follows that thing that you see a lot with the original Mother's tracks that do become live staples, like uh, the big, the big, big one like that is. Uh, oh, it's, it's. I think it's cruising for burgers. Mm -hmm. uh, is that the one on? Uh, yes, it is. It's the, the one that's on Zappa New York. Cru like cruising for burgers. The ones that stay in the set stay in the set because, like, he found a way to make them vehicles for soloing. Yeah. But, like, so it's, it's, even though they're always short, it's fun to hear versions of those, those old mother songs, and, uh, yeah, like, you get a really good version of Teenage Wind, you get a fun version of Disco Boy, um, and a whole bunch of just Fun, random shit, uh, especially on disc two, like uh, yeah. Johnny Darling, um, Are You Upset, Little Girl of Mine. Um, it, it's, the closer it's, you are. Yeah, just a bunch of fresh stuff that you haven't really heard. The Booger Man, you know. Um, the Tiny, Tiny Sick Tears, which, you know, kind of blows me away because I'm like, I, we know he made fun of the Doors a lot in the 80s. Yeah. But it's like, damn, he was already go coming at the Doors in the 60s. Yeah. 
Like. Tiny sick tears. <laughs> like, no, it's, this one, this one is, it's not one that I go for a lot, because, like, the, my thing with the 80s live bands is that it's, like, I, it's like I said last time. I would have been happy if I if I was alive in the '80s. If I was around in the '80s, I would have been happy to see Frank Zappa live. You know, yeah. I wouldn't have been complaining the way I am now, listening to these albums 40 years later. Yeah. But uh, the most of the '80s band is just not my thing, you know. Yeah. Until you get to the '88 tour. Mm-hmm. And that stuff, it's just. There are there are some fine performances. We'll get to some on uh, five and six. That are there are some very good performances from the eighty two and eighty four bands. Because which one? Because this one has my guitar wants to kill your mama. Which one has the studio version of that? We the studio version. Or wait, is that this? Yes, it is. I think it's on one of the next ones too. Weasels has the studio version of that. That has it's the it's on the like. Well, see, I've heard, a, I've heard a studio version on one of these that, to me, there is no better version than the one that's on Weasels. Weasels, to me, is the definitive version of that song. Um, and I don't know what it is, but every time I've ever heard them do it after Weasels, I am not that big a fan of it. Even, I've heard live recordings from the era when that song was being written are from before Weasels that I don't like as much because it's the thing I was thinking about this a lot last night and you know presumably some Zappa fans going to correct me in the comments and maybe I could be wrong but from what I've heard of Zappa's live stuff what you know Zappa has a lot of overlap with the frog guys you know mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a lot of he 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 didn't like to be counted amongst that group, but there's a you know in terms of like fans, you know I saw King Crimson in August. There was a there was a, a bunch of former Zappa guys playing a Zappa tribute show as the opening act. Right. I would guess probably half of the people there at that King Crimson show or more were were also Zappa fans. Yeah. Um, but the difference between Zappa and a lot of Prog guys is that unless there was a lot of studio trickery involved, the prog guys generally would try to do the like, like the full composition live. Mm -hmm. And whereas what Zappa would do a lot, and it's part of what makes him interesting live, but it can be a bad thing as well, is that Zappa would often like if there was a really difficult and cool sounding part of the song, very unless it was like written in the Roxy ear or after, very often he would just do it, cut that out, do it straight. Yeah. And for, for me, and I think for you, a lot of what makes My Guitar Wants to Kill Your Mama fascinating is that weird, like, modern classical middle eight. Yeah, especially the little, the solo part with the... Uh, yeah, with the, like, a, almost acoustic guitar part. Mm-hmm. And, I don't and know... They don't do that on any live versions of that song. Yeah, and that's what that's what uh, I, I hate about it is because to me that's such an interesting part where uh, each instrument gets its own little solo that is so different to uh, what else is happening in the song because the the song is a pretty uh, straightforward '60s uh, rebel kind of you know 
teenage brat song. Yeah. yeah, and uh, those solos are they change the pace of the song and make it more interesting than what it could be without them. And it's interesting, moving on, more stuff from the 60s about Willie the Pimp. Yeah. You know, which is not a bad, it's not a bad version of Willie the Pimp. Potato Head Body is a friend of mine. Would have been happy to see it in the, in on live. Um, I, I really like the way they blend it, if, if, I, if I'm remembering it correctly, the way they blend it into Montana, yeah. which is not even from the same show. You know? Yeah. It shows you how good he had gotten by that point. Um, but it's like, that's another one. It's like you said about Advanced Romance in the last episode. It misses something without Captain Beefheart. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, because Captain Beefheart just has... Captain Beefheart has that presence. Yeah, which I'm actually glad we get a version of the Torture Never Stops on here with Captain Beefheart, which yeah. uh, makes the Torture Never Stops. Um, this is probably the first time where he's thrown it on a live album where I've been like, all right, cool, I'm, I'm not going to skip this one. Um, yeah, because it's, and it's different, which, which fascinates me. Because the studio version on Doodalures and most of the live versions have a very specific, they have a very specific, very slow sort of progression. And the words fit that progression really well. And what's funny is that here they play it as like one blues riff for nine minutes. Yeah. But the Captain Beefheart lyrics follow the progression that it's going to have on the studio version. Yeah. So it slightly doesn't fit, but I like it because, it, again, Captain Beefheart has that presence, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And some of, some of the later Zappa singers, as much as I do like them, do not, you know? Yeah, yeah, that's true. And... But yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's, um, I don't remember what church chat is about i presume is probably you know talking smack about the televangelists you know oh yeah yeah and i forgot to mention this on uh best band you never heard but uh that's the one with the uh um the sort of televangelist character coming in talking shit like you know democrat democrat starts with a d just like demon Facebook comment here. Yeah, that's just great. Observations. Uh, um, a yeah, truck driver divorce is, uh, is good on here, too. I like... Uh, yes, it is. Yes, it is. Teenage Wind is good. Very short, you know. Now, I can't remember... Stevie Spanking. That's, that's one of those ones where it's like... I was listening to these because I, I don't remember Stevie's... Stevie, it probably is on four are on three or four, but I don't remember it being on there, and I was like, I didn't realize this was such a live staple in this era, you know? Yeah, yeah, and, you know, Stephen Spanking is a song that I like a lot. Yeah, I do too. It's stupid fun. Um, I need to, I need to play Truck Driver Divorce real quick, because I need to see, I keep damn forgetting, um... 
What do we got here? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Truck driver divorce. Yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, I there's really nothing else I can say about this one except for it's one of the better uh, You Can't Do That On Stage albums. Um, but like you said, I don't go back to it a whole lot. Um, I don't think it's as good as... Uh, two, and it's not as interesting as one. I would agree, I agree with that, for definitely. I agree with that. It's. But coming off of Best true. Band, it's definitely, coming off of Best Band, if you listen to them chronologically, um, it is very underwhelming. It, it, yeah, that's the, that's the problem with these, and it's, it's, Really, the problem with uh, six. Yeah. Because six is sandwiched between five, which is like the third best one, and if I I don't remember whether it's uh, and then I think between out of our uh, out of ahead of our time. Out of our heads, yeah, it's in between. Six is in between five and. Psychotics. Yeah, it's in between five, and then Playground Psychotics is right after it, and then ahead of our time. So it's like we'll get to it. <laughs> but yeah, it's like, and then so so now we are on Make a Jazz Noise. Game, yeah. So what would, is, what would you rate for though? I'm throwing a seven I, on I, it. Six. Six yeah, and a half, maybe. six. If I'm listening chronologically, seven uh, on a good day where I, I just could, I can agree with that. <laughs> I can agree with that. But make a jazz noise here, man. Fucking another one, phenomenal. This one, jazz noise. Like I said, that trilogy of the '80s, uh, the '88 tour. Um, it, they are as good as the Roxy and New York. Oh. This one, this one, I think is the best of the three, for me at least. If you, this yeah, the one where, if where you you're like, like, this is a great band. Yeah, if if you like the uh, sort of less delightfully annoying shit, um, and you really want to hear just an incredible um, band, yeah. yeah just incredible fucking songs. That's what I like about all three of them, dude, is all three of them, it's the same fucking tour, it's the same fucking band, but all three are uh, really, really fucking different from each other. And focus, yeah. they each focus on different great parts about what made uh, Zappa and his crew so phenomenal with Broadway oh, it's a lot of yeah. lot of brand it's a Broadway it's a bunch of so, new songs and then best band it's a bunch of uh, covers and straight silliness and this one is just some of the best songs from the the early fucking era of, uh, of Zappa and some of the better songs um, from his 70s and um, 80s stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of the some of the best like musicianship on any of his albums. Like 
this is this is the kind of band that you wanted to do, and it's great that he did it. This is the kind of band you wanted to do this kind of stuff. Like the, they do. I don't know. I, for their knowing Zappa, they're probably not from all from the same show. You know. Yeah. I mean, you look at it right here. Um, it, it it tells you exactly where they were recorded and when. I mean, um, but like the 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 like no commercial potential medley he does, where he does "Let's Make the Water Turn Black," "Harry, You're a Beast," a really incredible instrumental version of "Harry, You're a Beast," which when we get to ahead of our time, and I'll mention some of the other live stuff I've heard. A song that was played a lot was usually played instrumentally part of a medley. Yeah. Going into the Orange County Lumber, really short Orange County Lumber truck. Another, another thing they did a lot with the original Mothers, shorter Orange County Lumber truck. Going into... Oh no. Oh no. And the Lumpy Gravy theme. theme from Lumpy Gravy. Which, uh... Those songs, man, all all together, dude, like, that to me, whenever I hear it like that, it's such a treat. Oh, because the great thing about, especially a lot of those early Mother's songs is, I've mentioned this before, he, they were so good at coming up with extremely technical music, but melodies that get stuck in your head yeah, for yeah. years, which is hard to do, because you can either have really great melodies or really incredible technical shit. Not a lot of people can mix both and have it work. And, like and have it stick with your ass uh, for fucking years. Most of these melodies, I mean, they run through my head at least once a fucking week. Fucking, I'm yeah, always, yeah. I'm always humming damn, um, it's always in my goddamn head. Well, and it's it's interesting too because Orange County Lumber Truck, or I, I'll use this Orange County Lumber Truck as like a, it's a, no shit, sort of an umbrella for this whole like medley of songs he attaches to Orange County Lumber Truck over the years. Yeah, it's interesting. Cause it's it's one of the first like Zappa staples where like Orange County Lumber Truck they're they they're playing Orange County Lumber Truck in like sixty eight sixty seven staple throughout everything I've heard from the original mothers throughout Flo and Eddie, throughout Roxy to playing it in the eighties. And it's one of the it's one of the few like Zappa pieces that don't get worn down by overplaying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of those tracks that become like live staples and fan favorites. When you try to go through all of Zappa it kinda of wears down on you. Mm-hmm. Like, like, for, for that, instance, like one of them from the old era, um, Trouble, uh, Trouble Every Day, I still like the, the Freak Out version the best. Um, I like the, the live version that he does where it fits more of the, the Roxy era style with the, the, the funk and the horns and stuff. But I don't know, to me, the, the, the 60s blues jam vibe to me fits the context of the song better. Uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll get that, we'll get to that way more on the next album. Um, but, but yeah, no, this one, this one, the black, black napkins, 
Black Napkins. I love Black Napkins. Black Napkins is one of those tracks that get that over the over the years of live performance kind of wears on me. Yeah, it's a it's another one that is, is almost on every yeah live album, you know. But this version is so cool, and this might actually be my favorite live version of this song. The way the horns lead. You know, what's the opening guitar bit on the studio version and on most of the live version, the horns are doing. And it's just, it's so cool. You know, that's the kind of, it's such a simple rearrangement, but it totally changes the character of the song. Yeah. Which is something they're, that they're really good at, and when they don't do it, I, I get a little, I get a little bored. Um, but I love King Kong on here. King- yeah, this this King Kong is such a weird. It's such a weird King Kong because there's like, again, something to talk about coming up. There are multiple sort of iterations of King Kong. Yeah. There's sort of there's two versions they played in the '60s, probably more. You know, 60 Zappa files will pull me in, no doubt. Um, there's, there's a version that pops up. Part of it pops up on Uncle Meat. Part of it pops up in various other live things. That's, it's just kind of a... They do the main theme, and it's just kind of a cool blues jam. Mm-hmm. And then there's like a more composed version of King Kong that they actually did a lot that has like two main themes and a reprise of the second main theme. The, the version on ahead of our time is like ahead of their time is like that, um, but this one is really interesting because it's none of those. It is reggae King Kong. Yeah, yeah. And it's probably like I don't always know what to make of Frank because Frank Zappa loved reggae in the eighties. Like yeah, love putting that reggae backbeat under things that were not written as reggae. Yeah, and it made it interesting, uh, especially, you know, when they did Ring of Fire. Like, it's got a reggae vibe to it. Um, well, that, even, even like on Joe's Garage, you know, Luce, uh, Lucille has messed my mind. Mm-hmm. Like, the original, that, the original version of that song from 1969 on Jeff Simmons' solo album with the same name, it's just a, lo- a really cool blues blues track with horns. Yeah. You know, it's just a really cool blues track back with horns. But then you get it on Joe's Garage, and it has that slow reggae beat to it. And it's it it really adds a whole other dimension to that song. And it that's kind of what it, what it does here, too, is just it's it somehow fits a lot better than I would have thought it would have. Yeah. Yeah, which is interesting, because it's like... It's one of those sort of what-the-fuck kind of choices, like, why did you do that, and why does it work? Exactly. And then it goes into, a, you were talking last time about stuff that someone, somebody who was either not around in the 80s or had never read about, about the 80s not understand at all, Star, which is Star Wars won't work. Yeah. Like, if you didn't know what the, what the strategic def- defense initiative was, you would listen to this and be like, is he talking shit about George Lucas? Yeah. Was he, a, was he ahead of his time in making fun of the prequels? Like, this dude died six years before Phantom Menace came out. He knew it would suck, too. Yeah. 
But no, it's like it's like no, he's making fun of uh, this this program that Ronald Reagan wanted to do, where it would be like missile defenses that would knock the nukes out of the air, so that we could be free to nuke other countries. And he even he even says in the song, I think there's a there isn't there a point in the song where he's like, why the fuck are we still talking about it? Yeah. Oh uh, yeah. Um, but man, this is uh, this is just a great album, man. Dupree's Paradise. Yeah. This version of Dupree's Paradise, like, what what album does Dupree's Paradise first show up on? Is it Orchestral Favorites? Yeah, I believe it's in that, I call it the the Frank Zappa solo, like, the, the five-track Frank Zappa solo albums, um, where oh. you, you had, like, the, um, God... Where you had orchestral favorites, and in the early 70s, uh, Grand Wazoo, Wacka Jawacka, um, I believe, let me see, because it was also there with Sleep Dirt and Studio Tan. Because um, it's on, um, it's on, there's like a, there's a 23 version of it on uh, the Helsinki concert. Oh shit, it's actually not on orchestral favorites. Yeah, I was just gonna say, I think the first time it actually like shows up on a studio album is Boulay the Dark Zappa. Damn. Uh, for some reason, I, I think of that song being in that era. But they were performing it in the early 70s, though. Like, it's, it's from the Roxy era originally, and it, it's... Just a phenomenal version of that song. Uh, a track that you mentioned last time, I didn't really pay attention to. I'm not sure where it's from originally. Um, to be honest, I kind of lose track of where a lot of these tracks come from. Yeah, yeah. Particularly the ones in the 80s. Uh, to Mercy Dween is really good. Um, the Dude. Sinister footwear on this album is amazing. Yeah, it is. This is this is another one where I think I think the I think this one I forget whether this is closer to the um them or us or you are what you is version of of uh Sinister Footwear. But like I think this is the best version of Sinister Footwear. I can I can agree. Um it's a uh, okay. So it, it is. It is. The, it's the one from. Uh, it's the one from, them or us. The the one on you are what you is is something different, which is its own very funny thing. Is like there are th there are two. There is a second movement of sinister footwear. There's a third movement of sinister footwear. Where did the first one go? Maybe check out Roxy or New York. Or <laughs> or I'm thinking. Uh, maybe I'm thinking of Stinkfoot. I think you think of Stinkfoot. I don't think I don't think he ever released the first movement. But again, Zappa fans will correct us. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I I can never claim to know it all. No, absolutely not. And then Stevie Spanking. I really like Stevie Spanking on here. I, I at least I think this is the one. Again, this is one I did not. I, when I was listening last night, the day before, I was like, wow, this is on a lot of stuff. I did not realize. Yeah. yeah, this is this is the one that has the like really cool harmonizing. 
in the middle of it before it goes to the crazy solo part. Yeah. And then, uh, cruising for burgers. Which is always, always a favorite whenever I hear it. That, uh, that goddamn fucking melody, man. Or am I thinking of dog breath? Uh, I mean, Cruising for Burgers has a melody like that, too. Um, but no, like, this this one, it's it's closer to the original Cruising for Burgers than the sort of Zappa in New York version he did a lot in the, in the 70s and 80s. But it still has that cool extended solo bit where he, he gets to really, you know, whip it out. Uh, it's it's really good stuff. Yeah, let me really really fun stuff. Let me play uh, it real what's quick. What's the other one here? Um, Strictly Genteel. That one is always fantastic. Um, this this like I don't know if it's my favorite version of Strictly Genteel. I do. That's that's one of those ones where like every version of Strictly Genteel I've heard is great. Yeah, it's one of those just like with uh, Peaches and Regalia, and there are just some songs where I absolutely love hearing it every time it pops up. Um, and I'm sure it's different for other people because I always complain when it's like Redunzel or Torture, and I'm sure there's other people that love it when they hear those all the time. Um, exactly, exactly. And this version of Advanced Romance is good, too, you know? Mm-hmm. But it's, an, it's one that, as you said, it loses something when you don't have Captain Beefheart. Mm-hmm. But by, but by this point, Captain Beefheart had retired from music, you know? Yeah. He, he was, he had, he had multiple sclerosis, he was, he was sick, and he didn't, I don't think he also, I also think he didn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. Uh, this is, there's a, a May or may not be an apocryphal story. I choose to believe is a true story that um, he Bono from U2, some point in the '90s, like sent him a letter and was like, "Hello, please, please uh, collaborate with us." And Captain Beefheart was like, "Dear Bonzo, no." <laughs> <laughs> oh shit! But I'm gonna play cruising for burgers I have no real idea quick. If that's true. I choose to believe it is. That would be great. Um, but I'm gonna I'm gonna play cruising for burgers real quick just to sort of refresh my damn mind. Yeah, I think I'm thinking of uh, dog breath variations and all that. Um, oh, that one, that one. I mean, all of those like interconnected pieces on uh, Uncle Meat are all, like, incredible stuff. Yeah, it's crazy because they flow in together so well that I forget what, uh, what part it is. Yeah, I do that sometimes, too. Absolutely, like, it's... But yeah, yeah, no. Uh, what else? The new wave, the or new age version of the Black Page, I really like too. The Black Page is another one. It got played a lot in the '80s. Um, so it is a really good composition, but the era when it got played a lot is not one of my favorite eras of Frank Zappa. Yeah. But it's good. It's really good. I like it. 
Um, and yeah, yeah, no, this this album, this is I'm this is another ten for me. Yeah, this one definitely is a ten because I think I can't remember. I might have said Broadway was a ten. I don't know if we were rating. We never keep it consistent as far as rating albums goes, but we've been we've been rating them since the fourth episode, I think. It, I, or no, it's the third episode, I believe. You know what? I don't remember the yeah. first. The, either the first two or the first three, we did not rate. From the, I believe the one where we talked about the Roxy era onwards, we've been rating them. Probably, but yeah, this, those three live albums, like I've, I've said. Since the beginning of this episode, definitely uh, worth not looking over. Uh, those I almost I almost feel like like because the, the thing about those albums I feel like they would be very very highly regarded if they weren't so deep into the part of his career that most people don't like. Yeah, exactly. Because <clears throat> they they were released so close to the abundance of live albums that he was just dropping out. That, oh yeah, uh, he was just just absolutely just pouring those out. Yeah, and, and so you could easily say they get lost in the shuffle. I don't really know the uh, the common consensus on uh, on these three albums. Uh, I don't Zappa, know. Zappa fans really, really like them. So yeah, see, I don't, I don't know too many other Zappa fans other than other than you and maybe Frank. Um, but uh, but like, but that's a thing where it's like like you and I take I, I the '80s stuff. A lot of people who are like casual Zappa heads don't like the '80s stuff, but like a lot of hardcore Zappa fans love the 80s period, you know? Yeah, and like, me too, like, I love a lot of the 80s period, but at the same time, I can see, I can definitely see the flaws and, and the, uh, <clears throat> just the, um, overwhelming kind of, kind of feeling of it. Like, when I was buying all of these a couple of years ago, once I got to the 80s period, that's where I started to Sort of be like, God damn! I still got ten more of these to fucking buy. You know, it was it was the same for me when I was getting into Zappa. You know, getting to be almost ten years ago, uh, it was it was exactly the same for me. It was like I would I would I got up to like you are what you is you are what you is is so good, and then I was getting those albums and it would be like I really have to have. Uh, I really have to, you know, there are really, like, as you said, there are really, like, ten more albums, fifteen more albums. Like. Yeah. Like, that's why, that's why when I got toward the end, man, and, uh, I was like, I was like, I'll, I'll get to it. I'll eventually buy You Can't Do It on Stage 6. Yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's like, um, I, I get the feeling that a lot of fans like the 80s stuff more than we do. Huh? I get the feeling a lot of Zappa fans like the 80s stuff more than we do. Yeah, like, I, like can, the, I can see it. 
the mid-80s stuff. I think there's something to be said also for, it's like I said, a lot of guys who were there at the time, probably a lot of people became Zappa fans in the 80s, you know. Yeah. He had, he had a certain level of... Um, his records weren't selling as well as they had in the 60s and 70s, but he had, you know, he had Valley Girl. He had a certain level of pop cultural prominence. You know, he was on an episode of Miami Vice. Yeah. He's in an episode of Ren and Stimpy. Yep. You know, he... He's... He was out there in the 80s in a way, in the broader pop culture, in a way that maybe, you know, maybe he was in the 70s, but, you know, also, you know, in the 80s, the machinery of pop culture was more evolved by the... than it was in the 70s, you know. You had MTV, you had all that stuff. It's it's part of why I've, I've said one of the last so it's a shame he hated MTV so much because I think in a different world he could have been really well suited for it. Mm-hmm. you look at stuff like uh, 200 motels you look at stuff like uh, the weird ass animations he had made for the baby snakes video or uh, movie it's yeah. like this was a visually minded guy and the fact that he just kind of right wrote off <coughs> Um, MTV altogether is both, it's understandable, but at the same time, it's like, it's a missed opportunity, you know? Yeah, definitely is. All right, back after the piss break. Um, (laughs) so. It's the only podcast that tells you why we go on break. Yeah. Um, so (laughs) that was Make a Jazz Noise here. Now we're on... Um, you can't do that volume on... Volume 5, yeah. isn't it? Volume 5. Now, we mentioned this in the last one, that the whole You Can't Do That On Stage uh, series is an interesting concept that in many ways uh, succeeds in what it was trying to do, and in many ways kind of just, I don't want to say fails, but to me doesn't live up to what it is trying to do. And... This one, to me, is a little of both, where, to me, the first disc is the best disc. Um, Oh, yeah. Disc one with the 69 and 66 stuff, the early, wild-ass, delightfully annoying uh, mother shit is on full display, uh, it is very similar to um, uh, Weasel's uh, Ripped My Flesh, which is a big reason why I, I love the fuck out of the first half of, uh, of Five. Um, because <clears throat> I love the shit out of Weasel's, and this one, this one feels like a continuation of the Weasel's thing. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And it it gives you, even to this day, we don't have a ton of sort of a window into what the original, original version of the mother sounded like. Yeah. You know, there's, I, I, I think, I don't know if he released it officially. There are, there are bootlegs of 
right after Freak Out, that era, in, that are in circulation. You could hear them if you want. Um, I don't know, I don't really know if he's released anything officially, but the Downtown Talent Scout is really cool because it's that it's that early, early phase around Freak Out when they still had more of a R&B tinge to them. Mm-hmm. And that, like, mid-60s West Coast blues rock sound. Yeah. It's just, is really good. And it's, it's, you know, you go into Charles Ives, which you, you know, I know it as the blimp on Trout Mask Replica. Yeah. Um, you, you commented, and I think it was our second episode, that Frank spliced part of that into uh, the extended version of, uh, it's, it's not, is it, did you get any on you, or is it the second track? Um, it is... It's on one of them. I, I damn sure can't remember, but I'll never forget when, because like I said, Weasels was the very first Zap album that I had ever got a hold of, and then a couple years later I found Trout Mask Replica, and when I heard that bit, I was like, holy fuck, um, this shit is on uh, the goddamn Zappa thing. Yeah. So it's yeah, one of those it's one of those weird uh, sort of Saint elsewhere kind of uh, kind of um, connections where in a way you could say Trout Mask is in the same universe as a, as Mother's uh, Weasels, especially with how wild and insane Trout Mask is. Um, oh yeah, 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 absolutely. Um. It's they were they were released on his label. It's like you know they've got uh, they not so much Trout Mask Replica. I think is the second album. The second album he did in that style. Lick my decals off, baby. Lick my decals off, baby was made by a slightly different version of Magic Band that has one or two people who were in the Mothers in it. Yeah. Because I'm pretty sure the mothers had broken up by that time. Yeah, because I think um, it does. I still got. I still got to get more Beefheart because I still only have Safe as Milk and Trout Mask. I've got to get uh, his other stuff. But I've heard some of Lick My Decals, and it's like it reminds me of a mixture between the more accessible Safe as Mi uh, Milk stuff with the weird trout mask kind of shit. It's like a it's like a it's like a tighter and more controlled trout mask replica is the yeah. way I would describe that album to somebody yeah. like there are there are ways in which that album is weirder than trout mask replica in that there are a few songs on trout mask replica that have something akin to choruses. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Most of Lick My Decals Off Baby has no choruses whatsoever. You know, and it's, it's like, it, it takes the thing that Trout Mask Replica does, where you'll have, like, song fragments, like, happening 
after each other at the same time all over the place. There are tracks on there that take that to even more extreme than Trout Mask Replica. There are tracks that also kind of, as you said, kind of step back from Trout Mask Replica. And I think it's it's telling that right out very shortly after Nicky Decal's album, within an album, you get uh, the Spotlight Kid, which is like pretty much just like Captain Beefheart doing avant-garde blues album, like. I mean, technically, you could argue that's what Trial Mask Replica is. But it's like, it's blues rock with a Captain Beefheart weirdness. It's not like Captain Beefheart doing a blues rock deconstruction of all the music made in North America between 1800 and 1969. Yeah. <clears throat> but, yeah, so this first disc is really the only reason uh, anybody should listen to Five. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. This is this first disc has some really, really cool stuff on here. The Mozart ballet, the piano-drum duet. Uh, Chocolate Halva. Yeah, uh, the Little March. Where's Johnny Velvet? The Return of the Hunchback Duke. Which, um, that one... That one, if I remember correctly... That one, that is a uh, little house I used to live in fragment. Ah. As I think is... Hello? As I was going to say, I think, I can't remember which one it is. I was just listening to it. I can't remember whether it's... I thought it was Baked Bean Boogie, but I, I don't think it is now. There's there's another one on this album. There's a there's a fragment of there's a fragment of what eventually becomes the little house I used to live in. Because it's it's interesting because it is like like little house I used to live in is interesting because it is such an epic song, and yet when you really look into it. The recording that's on Burt Weenie's Sandwich is like one of the one of the most Frankenstein tracks that Frank Zappa ever did. Yeah. Like, and it I, it shows I think that like when he does Little House I Used to Live in live, it's us, it's about six minutes long, and it's the it's the part of the song that is called Return of the Hunchback Duke here. Yeah. But yeah, no, it's it's. I really like the uh, the Frank Zappa, Jimmy Carl Black drum duet. I love underground freakout music. Yeah. You know, theme from at home slow, you know? It's, it's really good stuff. You know, right there gives you a window into how fucking weird a Mothers of Invention concert could be in the 60s. Yeah. Cause like you, it starts off with one of them making sex noises, and then at some point they mix in like a, what I'm pretty sure is audio from a porno into it, <laughs> and they're doing like jazz freakouts. It's it's like it is some wild stuff. Yeah, because what what I love about early live mothers is that uh, you know you're not gonna get. A whole lot of studio tracks. It is a it is a time for improvisation and 
on-the-fly fucking weirdness and just a whole lot of goddamn fun. Yeah, it's like, it's like, you're gonna get, you're gonna get some weird stuff, you're gonna get some extended instrumental workouts, you're gonna get some, you know, depending on the show, you're gonna get some really weird stuff. Like, if, if we ever do a follow-up talking about, like, archival stuff, we gotta talk about, uh, I think it's Road Tapes Venue 1, which is a full basically full concert from 1968 that was released many, many years later where they do, they do like a, an eight minute version of an Edgar Perez track. Yeah. It's like early mother's live is some wild stuff. And it's like, as, as much as I'm sometimes like, man, I want to hear the studio tracks, like to have been in that audience seeing weird stuff happening on the stage, you know. Must have been quite an experience. Definitely. But, so disc two. Disc two is where I lose it. Disc oh. two is okay. It's just servable, serviceable. It's You've got Easy Meat, The Dead Girls of London, um, Shall We Take Ourselves Serious, What's New in Baltimore, Mogio, Dancing Fool, Redunzel. I, I do like Shall We Take Ourselves Serious. Yeah. Um, but it's one that I, ne I never, ever listen to disc to because I'm like, no, I can no. hear these songs anywhere else. Um, the only, the only good thing, for like, well, I shouldn't say that. It's, it's, it's all serviceable. The only great thing on disc two is how it ends. Yeah, the Geneva fare farewell. In Geneva, where he was apparently so pissed off that dudes were throwing cigarettes onto the stage that he just canceled the concert. Yeah, he said, house lights, and you see, show's you over. On tape, it's like, house lights, show's over. <laughs> yeah, which um, I think probably would have been better used as the final track for volume six. Yeah, I will I will agree with that. I will definitely agree with that. Because that way it can be like, yeah, not only is the show over, but that's the end of this uh, album series uh, as a whole. So how do you rate this one? This one is weird, man. This one alone is, is a 10 for uh, just that peek into a style of Zappa that we haven't had since the fucking 60s, since before the Flo and Eddie era. And the Flo and Eddie era is very similar to this era of, uh, of Zappa, but the, the Flo and Eddie is its, is its own different thing, where it's way more sort of Focusing on Flo and Eddie. Um, it's, it's more of a stage show. Yeah. You know? And whereas this is more sit down and enjoy the art. Yeah. Yeah, um, it's... But a package with... this one, I think overall I give it like a... I give it like a... It's a six, but it's a six with a big asterisk attached to it. Yeah, because it's... Where it's like, 
the first half is a nine, the second disc is like a five. Yeah, because packaged with this two, this two is to me completely, completely needless. There is no reason for any of that to be on here. Um, maybe, yeah. maybe disc two should have just been more uh, weird mothers shit instead of the '82 um, Zappa stuff. I mean, it's the same shit that we get everywhere. Blank, blank page, black page, Doreen. You know, pound for a brown on the bus. A fucking, you know, advanced romance again. It's those same songs. Disc one is so different compared to all of the 80s, and especially the ones in this series, Disc 1 is up there with um, what's happening on the f Volume 1 for me, where Volume 1 feels more like um, a showcase of the Flo and Eddie stuff. Um, this one is a showcase of the Early Mother stuff, and you know, that's why I like this one so much, is just because there's nothing on here that I've heard a million times. This is one where it's like, it's like especially at the time, because this is at a point where unless you were a hardcore, I mean, I guess you'd have to be a hardcore Zappelman by this in the first place, but unless you had gotten into, unless you had picked up Meet the Boots, which I believe was a, like a, like a five-disc box set. Mm-hmm. There was no way you would have heard Early Mothers live because Frank didn't release any live albums for the Early Mothers. The closest thing you have is Weasels Rip My Flesh, but Weasels is kind of heavily reworked. There's a lot of studio tracks on Weasels. Mm -hmm. So this would have been the first time a lot of people probably heard live Early Mothers. Yeah, they so, definitely you know, shouldn't have been. They probably definitely weren't expecting Disc 1. So it's almost like, it's like, here, I'm going to, for for you crazy Zappa fans, I'm going to give you what you probably wanted, but this too, this is for all you guys who just want to hear Easy Meat again. Yeah. But this yeah, one alone like... is a 10, uh, packaged together with this too, it goes down to a good 6. Because this too, it's completely needless. Completely, no reason for it Absolutely. to be here. Yeah. And and then volume six. Volume, volume six. So we're on this six is, now. This is, this is one where like I had conflicting emotions on this one. To me, it's like the opposite. Through most of disc one, I was bored to tears. I was I was not having it. And then disc two starts and I'm not I'm still kinda not having it, but I'm more invested. There's more cool stuff on here that we haven't heard in a long time or create creative interpolations. You know? Yeah. Like I love that he should he puts a deep cut from the 200 Motel soundtrack yeah. on this album. Yeah, which one is that? The the finale? 
No, it, well, that's that's in there too. Um, shove it right in. Yeah, shove it right in. That's the. Uh, that's the she painted up her face. Yeah, man. Fuck. Two hundred hotels. I am so glad that they finally got to re-release it properly. Um, which I've had the original release for a couple years now, but I might. I, I'm not gonna drop money on the six disc, disc version. But I would probably get the uh, the two disc version just to see if it uh, sounds a little better. Um, but man, it's about yeah, fucking time. The, the, exactly. Yeah. Like I was gonna say that the the two hundred motel soundtrack has always sounded a little bit rough. Yeah, it, it is. With. It is pretty rough, but damn it, are there some great fucking songs on it? Especially, yeah, especially for the Flo and Eddie stuff. It is, it is, fucking phenomenal. Well, it's it's the it's the hard thing about Two Hundred Motels is that like it was it was missing for so many years, like. It, for so many years, unless you pirated that stuff, or you bought it on vinyl, or you were one of the dudes who was lucky enough to buy it when it came out, or got lucky on eBay, mm -hmm. you didn't. You you didn't get. You couldn't get it. And it was like, it is one. It is arguably the centerpiece of the whole flow in any era. Yeah, half a dozen provocative squats. Yeah, yeah. So for them to throw in, you know. Is it not? Yeah, it's not one but two deep cuts, actually three deep cuts from that album. Well, strictly genteel was a, more of a staple, but still, you know. Yeah, and you also get cowboy uh, NATO. That that is the way that that starts off as like an '80s track, and then turns into Flo and Eddie halfway through, and Jimmy Carl Black. Yeah, is like. That is some of the most impressive stuff that is on any of those albums. Yeah, this this album is uh this album yeah, is there's a lot of I don't stuff. Have a lot to say about this one. There's like a lot of interesting stuff happening on this album, especially with the way the uh, the track sequence is is because you'll get. A song from the early 70s and then right after you'll get an 80s one and then it's just all over the place it is everywhere um, and the 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 track choices like Camarillo Brillo you know that's a that's a great song this one for me is a it's one of the better uh, releases in the you can't do that on stage, but at the same time, there's stuff on here that I'm like, you know, this didn't have to be on here. Like, Miss Pinky didn't have to be on here. Um, it's like, it's such a, such a half kind of album for me, because, I mean, Dynamo Hum's on there. There's songs on here that I love that you don't really get on some of his other live albums. Um... I mean, fuck. I don't know. It's weird. 
I mean, I, I agree with that. I'm glad, kind of glad we're on the same page here because it's like. Because how do you follow alien orifice with Catholic girls? You know what I mean? That, yeah, it's like. <laughs> that's like, that, so. How do you how do you um go from? I mean, I suppose they probably did live at the time. How do you go from trying to grow a chin to take your clothes off when you dance? Exactly, exactly. It's it's such a baffling kind of uh, track sequence to me where it's like, it sort of kind of keeps you on your toes. And I mean, like, I love take your clothes off when you dance. I'm so glad it's on here. Yeah. You know, I especially find it fascinating how, you know, it's like, this is an era when there was like a... There, Jean Luc Ponty, I think was, or no, it was, it was, who was it? There was a there's a violin player on. Oh, no. On this version of "Take Your Clothes Up When You Dance," there's a violin player in the midsection of it, and it's like that's such an interesting treatment for this track. Yeah. But so then it's, it's like it comes after like three Zappa staples from the '80s, so it's like. It's just weird, because you get, you get, you get Illinois Animal Bandit, uh, you know, which is like, ah, you know, heard that a million times, but then you get other shit that, you know, you don't hear all the time. It's such a weird, it's just a weird uh, mix of tracks to me, which at the same time makes it really good, and then at the same time it makes me be like, yeah, you know... No, no, no. Exactly. It's like it's like I want to rate this higher than the last two, but I really, I I really can't. Like part of me is an eight, and then part of me is a six. Yeah, and I think I'm gonna go close. I think I'm gonna go with a six. I think I think I'm gonna go with a six for this one. I do. I, we should say. We should point out. This the entire first disc is based around is uh is all sex tracks. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, it is worth noting, as Wikipedia notes, that uh, uh is that I think it's is that guy kidding or what? Yeah, that's the uh. Peter Frampton. Yeah, track. with the I and then you. he does later on. They do a, an early version of I Have Been In You, which is always a fun a fun Zappa song. Yeah. Because um, <laughs> it's just so... It's so overt, but at the same time, it's... It's... It's vulgar, but it's playing it off like it's the most normal thing imaginable. <laughs> yeah, what's so funny is that's one of them things where it's one of those Zappa jokes that... I'm not in on the joke because I've never heard that Frampton song that I know of. Um, I exactly. Just, I, I, you know, I have heard, I mean, like everyone else who has listened to 70s music, I've heard Frampton come, or actually, like anyone else who had a parent who was alive in the 70s, I have heard Frampton comes alive. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I, I'm not familiar with that Frampton song, or, which I think is I'm in you. Is the yeah, song. I'm in you. But yeah, I but, think I think I'm gonna yeah. stick down to a seven no, it's, for it's, this one. If I'm gonna give this one a six. But next we have a real, real 
interesting um, album in Playground Psychotics that part of me absolutely loves this album and then part of me is like just get on with it yeah that's exactly how I feel too <laughs> because it's all all of the audio tracks are to me it's one and done it's it's a it's interesting to you kind of feel like you're on the bus with them or in the room with them you know uh but at the same time it's like all right you're you're giving me a full album of flow and eddie stuff and most of it is uh just talking shit <laughs> you know just hanging out um, but I love the concept, like a typical day on the road, you know, uh, it, it feels like everything leading up to a show, everything in between a show, uh, everything after a show, uh, it's just, it's a, it's, it's an experience kind of album. Yeah, I pretty much totally agree with that. It's, it's... This is an album where it's like, it is so fascinating because Flo and Eddie, we talked about this in the Flo and Eddie review. We've been, we are very, we are both of us very positive towards Flo. Yeah, I, I'm a, I am a massive fan of that era and I, I hate that it was so short, but at the same time, I don't see it lasting past where it ended. Um... I, I can see that yeah, shtick. I don't really either. Yeah, I can see that shtick just get getting real tired. Um, so I'm glad we have that era, and I do hate that it was cut short, but it m might have been for the best. Um, because even like the Flo and Eddie albums on their own, the the actual albums that Flo and Eddie did after uh, Zappa ended that era. Those albums are really good. You even get the Sanzini uh, brothers on those Flo and Eddie uh, solo albums. Um, so in a weird way, those Eddie, those Flo and Eddie albums, they sort of continue the the Zappa Flo and Eddie era. Maybe not as good. Hell, maybe even. In some ways, if, if you're somebody who is annoyed by the Flo and Eddie Zappa era, their albums on their own... They're going to be more annoyed by their albums. <laughs> yeah, probably. But, uh, yeah. Because, like, the Zappa albums, at least, they have that, that really good music. And it's... it's <sighs> you and I both really like this era of Zappa. It's an era of Zappa I find fascinating. Because it's like, it's... Zappa, you know, it's Zappa after the mother, after the original mothers is over. He's trying to do what's, in a way, for as much as he taught, he talked shit about what was popular. It's him trying to do what was popular at the time. Yeah, because like I said, there a lot of that Flo and Eddie stuff. You could you could easily hear it being staples of classic rock radio, but it is not there. You will there, are, there is an alternate universe where you turn on your rock, you're like classic rock station, and you hear Tell Me You Love Me. Exactly. Exactly. And it, it baffles me 
that these songs aren't classic rock staples because they are on par and if not better than a lot of the classic rock shit that was happening at the time. Well, hell, to me they are better because I haven't heard them, you know, since every time I turned the radio on since I was six. Exactly, exactly. No, I I agree. Like it's not. It's like it is so weird because it's like it is a lot of it is trying to be what the you know classic rock of that era you know that heyday of classic rock at the dawn of the 70s it's trying to be that stuff and it's trying to be a commentary on that stuff yeah and yet it never really seemed to find the audience that i think it kind of would have needed like but at the same time it's probably a good thing because uh yeah you know we probably wouldn't have the abundance of phenomenal shit that came after. Yeah, it's like if this stuff had found an audience, we prob the Roxy era, we probably wouldn't have the Roxy era. Because I always kind of feel that, I always kind of feel like Frank Zappa would do something for a little while and then probably get bored and move on to something else. Like, on, like out of nowhere. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree with that. I think it would have been, it would have been, some, something like that would have happened. And it's, and we we would have missed out on a lot of the great music that we did get. But to have, like you said, to have a document of that era, it's, it's so weird because, like, I so agree with you. It's like you said, there's a part of me that is like, this is really, really, really cool. There's another part of me that's like, why didn't you just give us a show, Frank? Yeah. Because the audio tracks are, they're interesting, getting getting a peek on these dudes just being themselves. And instead yeah, of the, like, the show versions. It's interesting. Exactly. And the 200 Motels interview uh, at the end of the album is real interesting, too. Because 200 Motels is such a... Such a very untalked-about Zappa era all in itself as well, because, um, you know, you never feel like... you All this Zappa stuff gets praise all over the place, but nobody ever talks about the 200 Motels era. I mean, hell, when we watched the, the DVD, I'm like, damn, man, this is, this is hard shit to watch. <laughs> It feels like something that more people would know about. Like, even that people would be like, be like, this is bad, you know? Like, the 200 Motels movie feels like something that Brad Jones would have done a review of in, like, 2012. Yeah. Like, I know that because he did do a, a... I know that it, that's, it would be on his wavelength because he did do a review of the fucking Flo and Eddie Down and Dirty Duck movie. Yeah. And it's like, it's like, it's weird because I would expect 200 Motels to be something people know about because it's like Frank Zappa made a head movie, you know? Yeah. Like, like even with that, very, that very re-release, you know, I think... Uh, I keep forgetting what company owns that album, but it just seems like they throw it on a cheap DVD every 10 to 15 years just to keep the rights of it. 
Like when they yeah. did the re-release a couple years ago, the, the version of the DVD I got, you know, that thing isn't on Blu-ray, it's not on 4K, there's no special features, uh, you know, I mean, I would love to see a fully preserved and uh, um, remastered version of that movie. Yeah, yeah, I would too, it's like, but yeah, no, this album, I don't really even know how to rate this album. Yeah, because it's not really, it, it's, it just feels like a document. Because the, the music is really good. Again, like, in this era, I'm a, I would be like, if I was a Zappa fan who liked the Flo and Eddie era in the 90s, but, like, had never gotten to see him live, I would have been amazed to hear, like, Flo and Eddie, Eddie versions of all of these, you know, like, classic mother songs, like Concentration Moon and uh, yeah. Status Back Baby. Because I, like, I like hearing classic mother songs from the original mothers done with the Flo and Eddie stuff. They throw a similar yet different vibe on that shit. And yeah, for some like the reason, version of Wonderful Wino. Yeah, because for some reason, Flo and Eddie fit perfectly with that original Mother's vibe. Maybe not on the technical aspect, but on the the silliness and and all that. You know, they they fit perfectly. And whenever they do early Mother's tracks like that, uh, it's it's interesting and it's pretty much as good. Yeah, it's... But at the same time, so much of this album is just talking. Yeah, it's just a lot of audio tracks of them hanging out, talking shit, and... The whole, oh yeah, he snorts with, you know, with the best of them. Yeah, like, it, this album, a lot of this album feels like it was made... Cause this was around the time... You know, Frank was kind of bitter at Flo and Eddie for a while. You know, because there was this whole thing. I don't have the full details of it where, like, he, they, the band broke up after he got injured. He yeah. kind of thought they would stay together and go back on the road together. That didn't happen. Yeah, and, I mean... But, like, he, he made up with them in the 80s. But... And I guess there was some talk at some point in the 80s of Flo and Eddie touring with Zappa again. But I guess what happened was that, this is how it was explained to me, Flo and Eddie had reinvented themselves, kind of cleaned up their image, you know, become like semi-respectable dudes again in the 80s. Yeah. And they couldn't put that in jeopardy by going on tour with Zappa singing about dicks again. <laughs> yeah. Um, and another thing I want to talk about on here is this version of Billy the Mountain. Yeah. Which is, it's really good. Uh, they're, they're slightly different things. Uh, the thing I love about Billy the Mountain is uh, you could tell it is a heavily, just it's an improv show. And, but to me, it's definitely better on just another band from L.A. because it's, it sounds better, it feels tighter. Um, the version on here doesn't sound as sonically good, and 
It's a little, it's a little looser. Uh, there, there are different moments here and there, uh, but I don't listen to this version as much as the LA version. Yeah, I would agree with that. I would agree with that. I think, I think the Billy the Mountain on just another band, as you said, shorter sounds better. I think it benefits from being shorter. How much shorter is it? I mean, I can't remember. It's like six minutes. Are you sh really? Yeah, the the just you know, the band from LA version is like I think like twenty four minutes. Uh, let me let me let me check. Uh, yeah, it's twenty like twenty four, almost twenty five minutes. Okay. Uh, the version on here is thirty and a half minutes. Yeah. And yeah, I mean it it, it is a much tighter. You could tell that on the. Uh, L.A. version that they've probably worked out a lot of the kinks. It's prob the L.A. version is probably one that where they've probably done it so many times that they figured it out. Where on this one... It, yeah, I would, I would think so. Like, uh, this one feels more like an early version of that. But who knows? I wasn't there. Maybe, maybe... Exactly. Maybe they did do longer versions after... Uh, the L.A. version, who knows, but uh, it's interesting to get another uh, version of Billy the Mountain. Billy was a mountain, Ethel was a tree growing up on his shoulder. This is weird. Yeah, it's like, one of the things I like about Billy the Mountain, and what I went, the reason I, I, and I think they are, are more available now, but I've always wished there were more Billy the Mountains out there, because like, it, it seems like a song that was customized a lot to wherever they were. Yeah. Like, the, the part of the song specifically where it's like, about to destroy us and such. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They seem to have customized that a lot based on wherever they were. But, uh, so, there's not much else I can say about, uh, Playground. No, no there's not a lot. I could say about it either, so... And as far as rating it, I can't really give it a rating. Uh, like we said, it's very much just a document. Uh, but if you want to hear Flo and Eddie era Zappa shit, definitely uh, pick it up. Yeah, I would, I would recommend... I would recommend this. I would recommend... I haven't fully listened to it, but they just last year released a, a, a big thing of Flo and Eddie album... Uh, live stuff. Are you talking uh, about I think it's, 70? Yeah, I think it's uh, Road Tapes spot Venue 3. Semi, you know, er, a little bit earlier in the Flo and Eddie era, but that's a good a good document of like the Chunga's Revenge era of Flo and Eddie bands. So what's on... Because they've, they've been doing so many uh, Zappa box sets here in the past couple years that I am... Not too interested in getting a hold of, except for the Mother's 1970, the four-disc uh, live and studio sessions uh, recordings. But I don't know which Mother's is on that. Yeah, I don't know, because the, the, that's the... I mean, I can, we can solve this with Google, but the, the hard thing is that... Um, there was... 
I believe in 1970 there was a uh, there was a version of the band that was put back to that was uh, that was put back together that was kind of like half Low and Eddie, half Original Mothers. Yeah, I believe. I do not know if that's what's been documented. Um, that's that's going to the Zappa website. I'm sure that'll that'll have some information. Um, Ainsley Dunbar, George Duke, Ian Underwood, Jeff Simmons, Flow and Eddie. So yeah, so that's what that's the that's the flow. That's a it's not the exact Flow and Eddie necessarily the definitive Flow and Eddie lineup, but it's it's a lineup. So it is Flow and Eddie. Um, okay, and yeah. That's getting annoying with me, man. Is like, do we really need? Uh, I I am not gonna lie. I miss the the re-releases they were doing, like Meat Lights and uh, Lumpy Money. Uh, I miss that style of of Zappa re-releases um, because I would like the 40th anniversary of New York, but not in a eighty dollar you know, five-disc box set. Yeah. It's... It's good for me to an extent because, like, I have this... I have this project that... I mean, the idea is not mine. It's based on something this other dude on YouTube did for King Crimson. I have an idea... You know, this idea for a project. Originally, it was going to be for Zappa. More recently, I've evolved towards... I thought... I think it would be funny to do it for Fish. Of like it's like a, a live album and a studio album for every you know you do like live album and a studio album you just go through and you pick the live album and you do the studio album and it gives you you know for these bands that were very live focused it gives you a way to talk about them that uh, actually is sort of quasi complete. Yeah. But so it's good for me in that sense, but in terms of like. And because most of it's on streaming, but by the same token, it's like, as a physical media guy, I, I don't, I don't want to buy it, spend like eighty dollars on like a nine CD Frank Zappa live box set. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe at some point in my life, but not right now. Yeah, seriously. Um, but uh, so now we're moving on to uh, ahead of their time. Which is a another incredibly interesting um, album that is early early mothers because we have Jimmy Carl Black and Ian Underwood, Don Preston, Roy Estrada. Like we got a lot of those fucking early guys on here. Yeah, this is the this is the 1968 version of the Mothers, and he. This is the, you know you know you said that this is the one where it's like every album we've talked about so far has been a double disc, been two hours long. Yeah. This is the one where I want this to be two hours long. Yeah. And it's like from what I gather, it would have been. But Frank heavily edited this down, and he the thought the thought that 
people I've spoken to have had is that he probably did it because, like, Frank Zappa... Frank Zappa, in his later years, was not on particularly good terms with the original... with, I think, any of the members of the original Mothers. There was a... Specifically, there was a, a legal dispute in the late 80s about royalties. Yeah. And that's uh, why he and, fucked up a lot of those early albums. Yeah, that uh, allegedly... Allegedly, he had been... Uh, he had not given them royalties, you know? Yeah. So... But, so, so there's been, always been some talk about that. So the deal with this is that the, the entire first half, the first ten tracks, are... It is a sweet... A sort of musical theater thing performed with the BBC Symphony Orchestra of this this play called Progress. And the orchestral stuff is really, really cool. But it does not really translate to audio. Yeah. And I am very surprised that they have, I, I would imagine they have video footage of it, but I don't think it's ever been released. Yeah, because progress is incredibly interesting, and I like the uh, the progress suite a lot, but at the same time, there's a lot of visual uh, cues that you're you're missing out on, and to me, I don't think it sounds the best. Uh, it hello. Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, I, know I can hear you. Okay. The entire album has kind of a rough sound. Yeah, it really does. And um, I think... Uh, I like it because it's just early mothers doing early mothers shit. But uh, a lot of it isn't the best sounding um, early mothers yeah. shit. But the, yeah, it's... It's definitely worth checking out because of the prog progress suites and those early Mother's tracks um, at the end of the album. Yeah, it, yeah, it has... They're, they're very short, but it has a lot of cool versions of, uh, of stuff. You know, it has sort of the... It, it has the version of King Kong I mentioned earlier, where it's like there's a version of King Kong that's just like a cool jazzy blues jam. There's a version of King Kong that has like two head melodies. Yeah. And a, a reprise of, of this one, and I think that's my favorite. This is... They did they did this version of King Kong a lot. In fact, from what, I, from what the recordings I've listened to, it sounds like they, did, they actually did it more than the one where it's just a jam. Um, but it's a really, really fun version of King Kong. I like that. Theme that they add in. The stop-start drum stuff. It's it's really good. I like it. <clears throat> oh, yeah. And it's the, it's the first... It's, I don't know if it's the first time, but it, this was the first album that I heard 
that live album of Zappa's where I was, I realized that, so Help on a Rock, they would play Help on a Rock and it would turn into Transylvania Boogie. Yeah. Which is interesting and, because... Yeah, it is, it is. Because Help on a Rock is such a weird little thing. And uh, Transylvania Boogie is... Uh, God, it's been a long time since I've heard the original version of that. Yeah, and then the, it's like the whole. See, this one is interesting because they do like a, they do like a whole medley of like pound for a, from pretty much from pound for a brown to oh no flows together. Yeah, and uh, I like how Orange County Lumber Truck uh, is forty six seconds long and then goes into oh no, and then we go back to a. Long part of Orange County Lumber Truck to uh, close yeah. out the album, which is something that he's always done uh, that I do like. Whenever he does Torture Never Stops, a lot of the times he'll do part of it and then they'll do a bunch of random shit and then he'll go to the last part of it uh, on some of his live albums and they kind of do that here. But I'm a bigger fan of Orange County Lumber Truck than I am of the Torture Never Stops. Yeah, that absolutely. That's that's kind of what I was getting to earlier. Is it's like I'm a way bigger fan of that, and it's like, yeah, it's 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 interesting because it's you know they do when they do Orange County Lumber Truck, uh, that last part of Orange County Lumber Truck when they when it becomes really overdriven just takes it really takes on a life of its own in a way that I think is really fun and that a lot of his later live staple tracks don't do. Mm-hmm. But how do you rate this out? This is a, you know, I want to rate it high just because of it being early mothers and, but I think with, with how bad, I don't want to say it sounds bad, it just does not sound great. I mean, it's a, it's at least a seven. Uh, just because of the interesting stuff happening on here, and you get you get this cool sort of um, stage show out in the first half, and then the second half is just a lot of great fucking songs done really good. It's just I wish that uh, we would get a proper remaster of it, because uh, what's so weird is. A lot of those, when they started re-releasing all those Zappa albums in uh, 2012 and all that, when they were doing the big catalog remaster, a lot of them went back to uh, the original uh, vinyl mixes. A lot of them fixed up a lot of the Ryko disc errors, uh, but then they sort of just stopped um, halfway down the line and just threw them on a new disc, it feels like, uh, instead of really doctoring them up like they did. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's weird. But these are, this is one of those, I think at the same time, too, that the people re-releasing them, you know, they were like, what is the most essential thing that we should fix? And what is here just to be here. Like, since it's an official Zappa release, 
We'll just throw it on a new disc and clean it up slightly. Um, so, I feel like this, maybe they're like, you know, are people really going to buy this one if we re-release it? Is it worth spending the money to do all this extra work on it instead of just throwing it on a disc? Like, you know? Yeah, no, I, I get that. I think, um... Uh, yeah, I feel like this one. This is one that at some undecided point in the future, maybe we'll get. They'll be in like an expanded version of this. Maybe not. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, because we did, we did at least get the original vinyl mix of Ruben and the Jets on on Greasy Love Songs, and you know, um, some better sounding versions of We're We're Only in It for the Money on the the Lumpy Money. Uh, which is weird. Although I will say, I will say, I got, I bought the the vinyl of Cruising with Ruben and the Jets mm -hmm. earlier this year because I love that album. Yeah. Um, it is close to. It is close. It is very. You know, Greasy Love Songs is. It is like perfectly serviceable but like the drum sound on greasy love sound love songs is the, it does the 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 original vinyl it's it's clearly the same drumming but it does, doesn't have that gunshot quality yeah that, that snare is such a weird sounding snare to me and i don't i don't know whether the tapes have deteriorated over time you know, it's possible that, that that happened. You know, it's possible that they just, whatever remastering process they put it through resulted in that. But it's it's very clearly the same drumming. Yeah. <clears throat> but the, the, the original vinyl, it's softer, it's more mellow. Um, it doesn't have that, sh that sharp, like you said, that <clears throat> snare, that gunshot shot snare sound. Yeah, that snare that, is so distracting for me uh, a lot of the time. I don't I don't mind it on Greasy Love Songs because like Cruising with Ruben and the Jets is a kind of uncanny album anyway. Yeah. You know, it's it's the world's the world's uh, greatest avant rock collective doing a bunch of straight up late fifties West Coast doo wop, you know? Yeah. It's motherfucking phenomenal. Yeah. Which, but, like, uh, that snare is distracting for me, but I, I can easily get past it, um, because everything else just sounds good. But, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know what their plan is for this album. Um, it might just remain a afterthought. Yeah, I don't know, because they have, they have released, um... Classic Mothers live album. Now, I mean, not a lot, but they released, you know, Road Tapes, Volume 1, which is, it's, it's, the quality is not, it's, it's, it's not bad, it's not amazing, but it's, it's an interesting record, and it's definitely worth, you know, checking out if you like Classic Mothers. Um, and then there's some, as I said, there's some Beat the Boots stuff where the, the quality is really poor, but... It's fascinating to hear the music if you love that version of the band. Yeah. But, yeah, I give this a 7. Yeah. Um, 
So, before we move on, let me smoke a cig. Alright, we're back. And we're, we're down to the last two, man. Um, yeah. And we are on... We are, we are, we're finally within sight of the finish line. Yeah. <laughs> and we're on the Yellow Shark, which is the final album released right before he died, I believe. Very, very shortly, I believe. Um, oh, well, maybe what? it was right after he died, was it? It was right before, because it was released in November, and he died in December. Oh, okay. And probably the most... Almost, almost exactly a month before he died. Damn. And probably the most depressing-ass album cover in Frank Zappa history. <laughs> Just up there, looking like a frail-ass old man, looking... Older than he actually is, man. Just you could tell oh, that. Oh yeah, looking looking a lot older than he than he was. Because if that was, I mean, this is recorded a year before it is before it's released. If that picture is from that time, he would have been like fifty one in that picture. Yeah. And it's like you look at that cover. This man, it looks at least sixty five. Yeah. And a very, just, unhealthy 65. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or a but, very healthy 75. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh. But. Yeah, no, he... I'm sure you've seen, because it was in, a, it was in a, one of those kind of clickbaity things that get shared around a lot, but, like, this is a... Uh, this is, like, in Tom Waits' top ten albums. Yeah, this is one of Tom Waits' favorite albums. And, uh, I can see why, man. <laughs> there's, a, there's a quote that is, it's a great quote, and it's been, at, I re remember when I saw that, I, I was like, that's an incredible quote. Now it's on the Wikipedia, which is that Frank governs with Elmore James at his left hand and Stravinsky at his right hand. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, this album is an incredible way to end the Frank Zappa Say what? This is an incredible way to end the Frank Zappa career. Yeah, because it's something I've mentioned a handful of times on just about every episode, is that um, it is... He's always, he always wanted to be considered a serious composer. Um, yeah. And this is... You get bits of that um, here and there throughout his career, but this is probably the moment where he had been around long enough and you've got all these... You've got the ensemble modern. You've got this classical group that I believe they went to him instead of him uh, yeah. instead of him just picking people these guys came to him and said look we want to do your songs all classical instruments and we're even going to do songs that you said 
are completely unplayable by humans, like G-Spot Tornado. And you, if they were to make a biopic of a Zappa movie, like a, a Zappa movie, this would be where the movie ends, right? Like, yeah, this is this. This if you're gonna make like like the like Oscar bait, like Frank Zappa biopic, like it would you would it would you would probably be like it would be like his childhood. You'd probably do like the early mother, a little bit of the early mothers falling out with Herb Cohen, and then this would be the. This would be like the emotional climax of the end of the film, and your end. Yeah, it would be. This would be. This would be the scene in David Lynch's The Elephant Man. Yeah. Where the Elephant Man goes to the theater, and everybody is like giving him a standing ovation. Yes. Like this is this is that moment. This is. In a, in a Frank Zappa biopic. Yeah, very much like the ending of Chaplin with Robert Downey Jr., where he sees uh, he sees uh, the Great Dictator uh, being shown, and you know, it is it, this is yeah. definitely where that movie would end if they were to do a Zappa movie, definitely Oscar Beatty Zappa bio movie. But it, this is this is some people. This is the first time you feel like. The man got the respect that he deserved within the uh, the real pompous uh, sort of community, um, in the real pretentious uh, community. Um, and I've always loved the way Zappa's song sounded in orchestral form. And this, like, I love I love the uh, shit out of London Symphony Orchestra. Um, I love the shit out of the orchestra stuff on Lumpy Gravy, but this to me is probably the best orchestral Zappa album uh, out there. I would I would agree with that. Something I like about this because you album feel the love much... in the playing, you feel the respect in the yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and it's like. So what were a you lot saying? of the what's on here is like these early, early compositions he wrote when he was like a teenager. Yeah. Like the, like, um, the dog breath variations and Uncle Meat and I had Pound for a Brown and it's like everything coming back around at the end of his life. Um, I also really like the, there's a lot of piano stuff on this album, and it made me realize, I know he's kind of known, but it made me realize that Frank Zappa wrote piano stuff really, really well. Yeah. Which is impressive, because I don't think he played keyboard, and if he did, he didn't play it much. Yeah, I have no idea. Uh, but no, it's it's really really good stuff. A lot of it is the stuff that really really stands out to me is the Uncle Meat stuff, um, like Bebop Tango, the Girl in the Magnesium Dress, uh, 
food gathering in post-industrial America, which is just wild. Um, and of course, the live version of G-Spot Tornado. Yeah. Which is just incredible. Yeah. It's it, it, it just the level of uh, of care uh, that uh, that orchestra paid to these songs is worth the price of admission uh, alone. It is. I mean, uh, the, uh, all I can really just ta- say is how good it is all the way through. Um, oh yeah, no, it's it's it is it is a phenomenal phenomenal album. And for a, for a final album within his life, it is a it is a remarkable way to close out Frank's after this card. Yeah, it damn sure is. It damn sure is. Um, but yeah, this is where like if you had a Zappa movie, this is where it would end. Yeah, you'd even get some of the eighty stuff. You get you get the the sad part where he finds out he's got uh, inoperable cancer. And, the band um, breaks up, you know. It's yeah. Like, you get you maybe you get like some flashbacks to like Flo and Eddie and stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's just you know you you have to have the testifying for in front of Congress. You know? Yeah. The yeah. biggest problem with the Zap doing the Zappa movie, and I say I say this is a massive Zappa fan. He was a really weird looking guy. Yeah, it would be hard to find anyone uh, to play him, voice-wise, look-wise, all of that. Yeah, like, like there are there are people like <sighs> there are people who you where you can where like them being weird is an advantage because you get you get stuff to work with. Like, um, I haven't seen a lot of it, but like the guy who plays ODB on the Wu Tang Clan. Yeah, like that guy who plays Old Dirty Bastard on that series, it is, it is, it feels like Old Dirty Bastard has risen from the grave. <laughs> he has straight up resurrected. This is not an actor. This is the <laughs> Old Dirty Bastard on this fucking show. Yeah, like, like sometimes you could do that, but I feel like with Zappa, it's like, it's too much. It's that, that he had such a distinctive voice. That he was such a distinctive-looking person. Yeah, like, it's going to be hard to find somebody who could do the voice and have the look at the same time. Exactly. Exactly. Like me, yeah. uh, you know, I I can't even think of any actor right now working. No. Who could no, do I it? No, I can't. I can't think of any actor. Uh, I mean, the exactly. hair. And then too, you got to think about it. You know, the actor they, they, that they might choose might look right with the long hair, but then when you get to 80s short hair Zappa, he probably won't look right. <laughs> it's like, it's, and it's not like, he's not like, you can't do lo- like a, what Love and Mercy with, did, where like you have two different actors playing old and young, because, you know, Brian Wilson, the way Brian Wilson looked changed drastically throughout his life. Yeah. Is that that man kept putting on weight, losing weight, like sometimes in the span of a single year, it's like you can you have a lot of liberties with Brian Wilson because of the way he looked over the years. Yeah. You don't you don't really get that with Frank Zappa. 
Yeah, it's gonna that would be that would be some hard shit. But it would be cool. It would be cool to see in the movie because you can have when you got the testifying against Congress, you can have uh, you can have somebody playing D. Snyder come up in there. And what's even funnier is you could probably just get the real D. Snyder to come in there because he's looked <laughs> the same for 30, 40 years. Yeah, he really kind of does. Well, the thing is, like, there there was at some point a made-for-TV movie about the, those hearings, and. They had somebody playing Zappa, and it was like, it was, I don't, the delivery was not bad, but the guy looked nothing like Zappa. Wow, I need to find a clip of that. And it, it, I, I just remember it took me a bit, like, he has this bit where he walks up to some people in a record store, and he's talking about, oh, in 1968, you know, they censored something on my album. It was, was not until that point in the clip that I realized, oh, this is just supposed to be Frank Zappa. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's just somebody with a funny mustache and goatee. <laughs> but yeah, I give this album a 10. Yeah, it's definitely a 10. Uh, perfect way to close out the albums of his, uh, his career. Uh, perfect way to pay respect and to, uh, to an incredible uh, musician. And I mean, I don't know. Just every every single thing about this album is uh, is perfect. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. And this. So next, you got a year, a year later. Basically, October, end of October, beginning of November. Civilization Phase Three, the last album we will talk about in this. Three year six podcast, probably like twelve hour at this point. Probably so. <laughs> probably so. And this, this right here, uh, is a phenomenal album to me. Civilization Phase Three is amazing yes, in the way that yes, it is. The way it connects to the piano people from Lumpy Gravy, the way it uses old recordings, the way it uses new dialogue recordings, um, the way he mixes the Synclavier with uh, real orchestral music is so seamless to the point where sometimes you can't ever tell when it's the Synclavier or the orchestra. And it is some of the best sounding Sinclavier music that he's made. It's better than Jazz from Hell. It's better than some of the uh, recordings on some of his random 80s albums. Uh, it's just, it's like, damn, you could tell this is the moment where he really figured that machine out. Because if you listen to the early Sinclavier stuff he was making, it sounds like that machine is about to break the fuck down. Yeah, yeah. And it's uh, a lot of it is cruder, it's more harsh, but this one, this shit gets creepy, man. This shit gets haunting. It is it is uneasy feeling, but then at the same time, it can get real quirky and um silly. And I love that Huh? No, you know, you finish off. Uh I love that we even get that annoying laugh. From Lumpy the Gravy turkey, back. The turkey dude coming back. <laughs> ah, 
Like, oh, man. When I was listening to this last night, I was like, how much of this Piano People stuff did Frank record in 1967? (laughs) Seriously. Because, like, you can tell it's from 1967. Definitely. And that's what... That's what fascinates me about this album is that he is it is like it is like the ultimate like conceptual continuity. Like he is mixing so much stuff together. Like you have you have like Motorhead Sherwood and the Turkey Man in nineteen sixty seven interacting with like Moon Unit and some actor in nineteen ninety three. It's yeah. like it is very, very strange. It's one of the things I like is the whole album is dark. But, like, it gets, it starts off sort of whimsical dark. Yeah. Like, in the way that a lot of Lumpy Gravy is whimsical dark. I think what we said in the first episode is that it's like, it's like if you go to the Black Lodge and, uh, you know, everybody's just chilling there. Bob's not killing anybody. None of the evil from Twin Peaks is there. It's just a, a fun time. Yeah. Uh, that's kind of how this starts, but as it goes, it just, it gets darker and darker, and then you get, like, I was, when I was listening to this this morning, I said, I was, I was telling somebody about it, I was, I was on do and I'm like, like, yeah, I'm listening to Frank Zappa contemplate his own mortality through computer music. Yeah, yeah, that would be the end gets, of that, and beat the rip, Reaper, and... Yeah, and then Boffenspiel... This shit it's, it is it is heavy it is a heavy album by the end. Yeah. This ain't CNN. Uh, I like that a lot of the tracks are just a minute to a minute and a half, twenty-three seconds. It's all real short. Uh but each disc is fifty-six and fifty-seven minutes long. Yeah, yeah. It's it's it is a long double album. And it is a everything very long double. Everything just flows and segues so perfect. And it's, it is, so the story I was telling in the intro is that this, so years ago, actually, no, no, I, I was confusing that. Last year was either at the beginning of last year or the beginning of it, or no, it was either at the end of last year or beginning of this year when we were first talking about doing this episode. We, we almost did this in, like, March. Um, I listened to all of these albums, and I, I was, I did what I did last night, which is, like, it got to be super late, and I was like, oh, I'll put this on, I'll, you know, and then I'll lie back and in the dark, and I'll, I'll absorb it, and I fell asleep part way through. And then I woke up, I woke up, and, uh, you know, I've just... It's, I was having, like, a small anxiety attack. It was like, I'm, I'm not feeling safe. My heart is pounding in my chest. And weird Frank Zappa computer music is happening in the background. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, it's, that's, that has happened to me twice. The first time I was in the middle, I, I was in the middle of On the Corner by Miles Davis. I fell asleep. I woke up in another 70s Miles Davis composition. <laughs> in the same situation. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is an album you definitely do not want to fall asleep to. Yeah, this, this is an album. I've not done this, but I 
This is an album that I cannot imagine would be good to do drugs to. Yeah, like, yeah. I can see this album being really fun, uh, high on, uh, after smoking a joint. But, but don't do acid to yeah, this. Yeah, don't, don't fuck with acid, you know, you might have a bad trip. Um, <laughs> fucking, but yeah, maybe smoke weed to this one. Uh, I can see it being amazing uh, on some weed. But, man, just the, uh, the level of technicality on, on these is, I've always been, um, disappointed with his Synclavier music because I'm like, number one, it all doesn't sound good to me. It's interesting, but at the same time, yeah, it's technical as fuck music, but it's not as impressive coming from a computer and not uh, human hands. So yeah, it's I, I feel that. Nowhere near as impressive as his early stuff. But on here, it it is impressive. Um, it I don't know. There's just something different about this. Maybe it's the mixture of the organic music with the computer music. Um, it's weird. A lot of it sounds like early video game music, uh, Sega songs and shit. Uh, but it sounds it sounds better than that. But I see what you're saying. Like. Like, it's, it sounds like... Like, it don't sound like shitty chiptune music, but it sounds as it sounds, good as some... It sounds... Toward the end of Sega's run, when, when, when music started to sound fairly real in video games. Yeah, I was gonna say, it reminds me a little bit of that, that era in, like, the tail end of the Super Nintendo, beginning of, like, the PlayStation... And, you know, when video game systems had gotten to where you could get, like, really good banging soundtracks, but yeah. they couldn't sound like real instruments just yet. Yeah. So you have a lot of, like, weird MIDI strings and stuff like that in your video game soundtracks from that era. That's, this isn't MIDI, you know, like, he apparently sampled almost everything onto the Synclavier. Yeah that's on here, but it, it, it has that feel to it. Yeah, know? it's got that computerized, um, inhuman vibe that, and I think that's also part of what makes this album so uneasy, is because you've got this mixture of uh, man and machine together that is weirdly soothing and just uneasy at the same time. Yeah, 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 absolutely. You know, it's, it's, it's really, uh, it's, again, like we said the last time, it's a really remarkable album. Something that fascinates me, and I feel like I've said that, you know, take a shot for every time I've said something that fascinates me, you'll die about alcohol poison before we get out of this episode. Um, it creates almost like a lore for the piano. Yeah, because in the, you know, I didn't know, when I was first listening to Lumpy Gravy, I didn't know that they were called piano people, you know, I just thought it was random ass fucking dialogue strewn throughout, you know, 
And hearing it kind yeah. of be expanded upon on here, it, it's weird that this album for so, it, it it does feel like a continuation of Lumpy Gravy so many years later. Um, yeah, no, it it absolutely does. It's it's di- it's so different because Lumpy Gravy is so Lumpy Gravy is so is so scrappy, you know. Yeah. It's a very small album. It's very clearly, you know, it's it's the product of a master, but it's a master who is dealing with, you know, sort of limited circumstances, relatively limited technology and budgets. Yeah. Um, whereas this is this is by the end this is like. You know, this is like one of the ultimate like DIY albums. You know. Yeah. Of like taking something that was not designed to do this and using it to make something just awe-inspiring. And it's it's the source of this joke a friend of mine have. You know, a friend of mine and I have about you know. There's a lot of things that. You know, like Frank Zappa is. He's like Frank Zappa is one of those dudes where it's like. You know, Frank Zappa is like, I know if Frank Zappa was alive today, he would be probably be getting into feuds with people on Twitter. Yeah. And I'm glad I don't have to see that. But by the same token, it's like, oh my God, what would Frank Zappa do with Ableton? What's crazy is, I would love, we've got an alternate universe where Zappa found the cancer early. You know, or maybe didn't even get cancer, and yeah, yeah. And could you imagine if he would have lived long enough to actually see electronic music uh, get perfected over the yeah, years? Yeah, yeah. It's um, like and I want, I want to know what that world looks like. Yeah, I mean, when when you get certain electronic artists like. For instance, like Skrillex and some of the incredibly complex ways he puts noises together uh, on some of those early, on some of his earlier music, it's got a Zappa vibe to it. Even though it's definitely structured as fuck, but you, I could only imagine what the fuck Zappa would do with that kind of technology. The Zappa fans are going to have our heads, man, you know. Yeah. First, first we didn't like the 80s, a lot of the 80s stuff, but now we've compared Frank Zappa to Skrillex. Well, yeah, I'm not really comparing him, but I'm saying, like, like Skrillex. I, I know what you mean. Yeah, Skrillex mean. beats, on, on especially, like, the Bangarang EP and the, the Scary Monsters EP. Oh, the, yeah, no, there's some there's some really interesting Skrillex music in it. Yeah, the way it's, he would string noises together to uh, to be part of the melody, it reminds me of some of the weird ways Zappa would string noises and shit together. Um, but, yeah, 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 purists are going to be like, you fucking idiots, da-da-da. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, it's, well, it's... As I, you know, like I'm saying, it's it's fascinating. This this is this is an album. I feel like almost is like this is an album that is very simple and extremely complicated at the same time. Yeah. Because it's like I feel like 
I feel pretty secure in saying a lot of it is about Frank Zappa dying of cancer. Yeah, it's like, let me, let me finish as much of this uh, as I can right before I'm out of here. Yeah, and, and of course, this, this was years and years later, so I don't know if this is, like, accurate to the times, but, like, there, there was an interview years later, I guess, where uh, Gail said that, you know, when he was done with it, uh, he said, I've done everything that I can. Yeah. <clears throat> I've seen uh, I've seen that before too. And what's even crazier going back to uh you know the possibility of him not dying. Uh I will never forget that when Serge Tankian of System of a Down released his second solo album, Imperfect Harmonies, um which to, I will never forget that there was some review of that album where the guy said, this album sounds as if Frank Zappa had lived to see um, electronica music and the Bush administration. <laughs> and I always, before I heard that album, I always thought, damn, man, that's probably going to be amazing. Then I heard the fucking album, and I was like, this is garbage. <laughs> it's some of the worst shit that, that Surge has done, for me at least. But uh, I will never forget that fucking review that just misled the fuck out of me. I, re I re remember, I forget what video of your, you guys bring that up, but I remember that. <laughs> And I'm like, I like Serge Tankian, but... Like, I do, I too. I would not compare him to Frank Zappa. Yeah, seriously. I mean, and, and, and the Imperfect Harmonies is, is, to me, at least the, the worst album he did. I mean, to me, the EP that he did earlier this year was phenomenal. Uh, you know, but I don't know. Imperfect Harmonies just does not work for me. It's too soft. It's way, way too soft. But... I'll, I'll yeah. never understand what was going through that guy's mind when he fucking said that. <laughs> somebody, somebody doesn't like uh, Frank Zappa as much as we do. Yeah, and but at the same time, somebody is probably listening to this part of the podcast going, well, I don't know what the fuck was going through your mind. Talking about Skrillex reminds you of Zappa. <laughs> Uh, well, you know we're the we're the worst worst Frank Zappa fans on the internet. Yeah, yeah, we're the worst <laughs> Zappa fans on the internet. Worst corn fans. We're just the worst fans of everything. We're the worst Deftones fans. Yeah, so I give this I give this a ten. But this is a this is a this is an album that just it, I am not bumping this album very often. Like, yeah, it is it is something I I throw on about once a year and I'm like wow. Yeah, and that's that's about it. I gotta it, it's one of those I gotta get it out of my system kind of things. Um, yeah. In fact, yesterday last night when I was listening to it, it was probably the first time I had listened to it in a couple of years. Uh, probably since I yeah. got it, um, 
And I, I forgot, I knew, I always remember liking it, but I forgot how good it really was um, until, <clears throat> but weirdly enough, it says here that, all right, when it was first released, it was only released on the, uh, on his website, and uh, it apparently wasn't a part of the, the remaster campaign. But, uh, weirdly enough, I bought it brand new on Amazon. Yeah, I, the thing is, I don't know, because I found mine used. Like, it even came with that white barking pumpkin slipcover. Oh, from Amazon? Yeah. Wow, see, mine didn't have that, because, again, I found it used. It was, it's one of those ones where it's like, most of the time you find Zappa used, it is the old shitty Ryko discs. Yeah, or the and the double Rikos where they where they combine two of his albums on one disc. Yeah, that annoys the, me so much. Yes, or it's the ones that um, it's the ones that like everyone had. And so, so like when I found that, I was like, wow, I've never seen this. It's twelve dollars. I'll buy that. Yeah, hell yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's yeah, it was it was not part of the remaster campaign. Um, it has really cool packaging. Yeah, the packaging is great. The uh, the the booklet on the inside is is fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's 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 really really good stuff it's it's i think it might have actually now that i think of it i think i think i remember that it it won some sort of award for the packaging yes it did it won the 1995 grammy for the best recording package and isn't that a weird grammy to have uh, you know because that is like the grammy equivalent of frank zappa after his death being accepted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame by Lou Reed, who hated Frank Zappa throughout his life. <laughs> like, that's such a weird backhanded compliment, you know? Yeah. Because now, with, with all these, these issues that they're putting out now with, you know... All the interesting packaging for these Zappa albums that they've been dropping recently, like uh, the Zappa New York the 40-year 5 box is in a pizza box and a New York-style sewer cover, you know, like... And then which one has the Zappa Candyland-style board game that comes with it? Man, I don't know. They've been dropping so much live Zappa stuff. That I have, I have like fully lost track of them. Yeah, they they've done a couple of the Halloween shows. Uh, they did they this year they released the Zappa '88, the last U.S. show. Uh, yeah, yeah, that that I'm actually interested in hearing. They've done, I guess, Zappa original motion picture soundtrack three CD. But I'm like, I saw that documentary, and I don't remember three CDs worth of music being played in that documentary. I still need to see it. It was really good, man. It was really good. Uh, probably the most definitive uh, Frank Zappa documentary 
uh, we'll probably ever get. And for it to be made by Alex Winter of Bill and Ted is is interesting. <laughs> oh God, I was I was watching some. This this is like Alex Winter trivia. This is this is, I was watching somebody's um, somebody's coverage of the. Uh, of the, the the horrible horrible Smosh movie. Oh, I remember that, but I, I had never seen Smosh before, so the movie was not oh, on my radar. He directed that. Oh wow! Alex Winter directed that. Interesting. And it's like it's so funny because it's like it's like. You got, like, you got Freaked, which is a fun movie. I love Freaked. Freaked is, Freaked is so much fun. Freaked is, like, um, I was, I was saying to somebody, because I was, I was, like, Freaked is, like, the good, like, good movie version of, uh, Nothing But Trouble with Chevy Chase and Dan Aykroyd. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, Freaked is the version of that idea, that kind of, like, this is, this is a massive celebrity's vanity project. It, it flops so bad that it basically tanks their career for decades. Like, Freaked is that, I, that, that thing, if it was... <laughs> yeah. But it's still, it's like, damn, a thing that one of the dudes from Bill and Ted made... Not only did it tank, it tanked so hard you could watch the whole thing free on YouTube now. Yeah. And then, yeah. like, yeah. Butthole Surfers had something to do with Freaked. Did I, they? Yeah, I believe it was supposed to be um, a lot of their music in the movie. Um, I had to look it all back up, but I think Butthole Surfers... I think they something did, went they down. They did do a bunch of, they did do a bunch of stuff for that movie. Which I wish, oh. I wish they would re-release their damn catalog because they got some albums that are hard to get a hold of. Yeah, they. I, when I was trying to get more of their stuff last year, it was like all out of print, and it was it was wild to me because I remember when the Butthole Surfers were like a. a you could just walk into a mu a record store and you could find multiple bundles. Yeah. Like, and so it's it's weird to me that their stuff suddenly became hard to find, but you know, it's I suppose it's less supply and demand. But and, and, how do you rate this album if you haven't already? This one, yeah, I think is a it's a ten. Uh, but it's a ten that I don't go back to a whole lot. Like you said, it's yeah. <clears throat> I gotta get it out of my system every once in a while. Uh, it's definitely not a Zap album. It's not a go-to for me. Um, no. But uh, it's it is uh, it's just damn good for what it is. For it to be the little the final bit of brand new material, uh, I think it makes up for at the time. His final album of brand new material, which was Jazz from Hell, I think it makes up for that. Um, because, like, Jazz from Hell is cool, but at the same time, it's like, I have no desire to go back to it. 
Yeah, I can I can feel that. Like I like Jazz from Hell a lot more than you do, but at the same time, it's like, man, I get it. It is so primitive sounding. Yeah, like it's interesting. It's cool. Uh, but I, I'm never like, I'm like, it's, to me, it's there to, uh, fill up that hole in the, uh, Zappa discography. Yeah. But damn, I mean, could we, can we even do this? Like, the last couple videos, we've been, like, ranked the discography one to ten, but I don't even know if, if we could rank it, if I can rank a discography this big. Yeah, as far as ranking the discography, I would say that there's, I could say it's a 10, because there's more in, in his full discography that is phenomenal that uh, the lackluster stuff doesn't hurt any bit of it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that Frank Zappa's entire discography I'm going to give it, like, I think I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10. Because considering how much he put out, some of it was not, you know, they all can't be singers. Yeah. And he has a relatively small number of albums that I do not like, considering everything that he put out. So... Yeah, it's uh, in as much as I can rate it. There are there are periods of Zappa's discography that get like a ten out of ten. There are periods that get like a six out of ten. It's 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 more positive than negative, but you know the the quality does vary quite a bit. Dashiell does, especially especially once you get through, which to me from Freak Out to um, to. Uh, you are what you is, and maybe even uh, ship arriving too late, uh, and maybe it maybe on a good day the man from to Utopia. I, I would say, yeah, I would say probably from uh, Freak Out to Man from Utopia. I think everything is pretty uh, flawless to an extent, because even before then, you've got the shut up and play your guitar stuff, which is definitely not essential, but if you take those out, uh, I would say it's all pretty flawless to an extent. Um, even though Ship Arriving and um, The Man from Utopia really show the the quality slipping away. Um, yeah. I would say yeah. from Freak Out to Man from Utopia is probably all the way through, like, everything is... is pretty much fucking worth it. Uh, but after I, that I is... I definitely agree with that. Yeah, starting with Baby Snakes is when like, things get like, uh, on the, alright, we're, we're at this point of the discography now. Yeah. I, I keep forgetting yeah. that... I keep forgetting that Them or Us is, uh, is a studio album, you know? Like, yeah, because it's like, it's basically the last one. Yeah, like, it's the last one before uh, the Sinclair took over everything. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's kind of like, 
It's it's probably the best of his like deep into the eighties studio albums. But like it is not one that I reach for very much. Cause like Thingfish, I think Thingfish would have been a lot better if it wasn't repurposed music. Yeah. Think if Think if they had actually like Thingfish has problems that I think are gonna exist in any version of Thingfish. Yeah. Um, but I think if 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 he had if he had written original songs, if he had gotten the thing actually staged and, you know, like if Thingfish if Thingfish was a cast recording from an actual show that exists, uh, I think I would have a lot fewer problems with it. I do. Yeah, because, I mean, Thingfish, I think, would have been better with original music as opposed to just reusing Zappa songs, but I, I, I like it just because of how much, how many balls that album has. Like, that album, yeah. that album has a big set of balls. Like, you would never, you Barely could get away with it when it came out, but you will never yeah, be able yeah, to like, make an album, album like this today. Got made. <laughs> but, like, his, like his record label, I'm pretty sure dropped him because of that album. Yeah. Like, like the, the the people who were distributing that album, I'm fairly certain they dropped it because of because of the content. Yeah. Because it's an it's a it's a like an hour and a half of Ike Willis talking in his minstrel show voice. Yeah. <laughs> Terry Bosco talking about being a gay man. And fucking a briefcase. And, uh, it's an odd, odd album. I'm gonna fuck this yes, briefcase. It, it is, that is probably the strangest in a, in a, like... I feel like the strangest Zappa album is probably... It's either... It's either Thingfish or Cruising with Ruben and the Jets. Yeah, yeah, it's in a sea of strange. Thingfish is definitely one of the strangest. Because you have, you have, you have Thingfish, which is one of the strangest things I've ever heard. And now you have Ruben and the Jets, which is so normal. Yeah. It is so normal. There's a, there is a story, I, I was, I was... Again, I have this I have this whole idea of like going back and reviewing the original mothers in like twenty minute videos and so forth. And I was doing all this research and there was this this it was like a you know, the story we brought up, which is the story everybody knows that the original copies of Ruben and the Jets shipped without the mother's name anywhere on the net. Yeah, everybody them. thought it was a band called Ruben and the Jets. And all of these like all of these lame like 35-year-old squares were getting down to this doo-wop music. And, but like, there was, there was a story that like, that it would go to, it would go to these stations, these stations would just throw away the mother's records when they came in. They would play the album, they would get down to it, and the, that the, Frank Zappa, I guess, throughout the, the like, late 60s and early 70s would have people in like in their 30s in their 30s coming up and being like hey we really like cruising with Ruben and the Jets yeah that's uh that, that is a great damn story 
But yeah, it's 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 a it's a there is no other discography like the Frank Zappa discography. Yeah, there really isn't. There um, are people who released who have released as many albums or more albums than Frank Zappa, like Buckethead. Yeah. But like I, but I don't think um, I like Buckethead a lot. I don't think Buckethead. At least as some as a as a songwriter, I don't think Buckethead has quite the same level of like talent. Like as a as a guitarist, that's another level entirely. As a songwriter, I don't I don't think I've heard a decent amount of Buckethead, and it's not stuck in my head the same way. A lot of Zappa sticks in my head. Yeah, yeah, I feel you on that. Like, I, I love some Buckethead, but I gotta, I gotta be in the mood for it. Um, yeah. I have a, I have a handful of Buckethead albums, and they're all great. But uh, the dude, the dude just drops so much stuff that a lot of it you can only get at his shows and stuff, and it's, it's just hard to, to get. Like, crazily enough, uh, with Zappa having a discography that is unlike anyone else. It's easy to get it all at a fairly yeah. cheap price, which other artists who have massive discographies like that, it it's harder to get a hold of a lot of that stuff. Like Flaming Lips is a, is another one that has a big massive discography that is interesting all the way through, but a lot of that, especially the early stuff, is uh, fairly hard to get a hold of. Um, Somebody else like that is um, Sun Ra. Yeah, Sun Ra too. I, the only bit of Sun Ra, I have maybe five, six Sun Ra albums that I, I found them all at a pawn shop many years ago. But yeah, it's hard to get a hold of his stuff, especially. I picked up. I picked up a huge chunk of his stuff last year, but you put like a lot of that was discogs. A lot of that was getting lucky on eBay. Yeah. You know? And and it's like a lot some of a lot of Sunra stuff physically is not in print anymore. Yeah, and it's another one with uh, Devin Townsend. You know, it's hard <clears throat> to get a hold of a lot of early strapping young lad, and he releases so much shit all the time. It's it's hard to get a hold of everything. Dude's just got a massive ass discography. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some bands, uh, in the, the span Zappa released 30 albums, a lot of bands might have only dropped five. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But no. then there's other artists like Buckethead who will drop 20 in one year. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, no, that's, that's the Zappa podcast. Yeah, um, man. Took us three years. We never really came up with a title for it. Um, yeah, I mean, we just call it as this phase seventeen of the Zappacast. <laughs> um, is, this, is this phase six? <laughs> let's, but let's do fish, man. Yeah, fish. Fish. We could definitely do. Hit me up uh, in the next little bit, and we could figure out the time to do fish because I can. De- we could definitely do fish. I only, uh, I only have a couple more I need to leave here before we can do studio fish. Live fish is like 
live fish is like a Zappa tier pod. That would be like a Zappa level yeah. podcast. Because another thing about like five years we wouldn't A big thing about live fish is you get a lot of the same songs, you know. Yeah. Uh, but there are, to me, there are certain live albums that are essential. But a lot of times, um, Trey's voice does not sound that great live. Um, no. A no. Lot so, sometimes he doesn't even sound that good on the albums. <laughs> and a but, lot of times, uh, you'll hear a song that sounds really good on the album, and you're like, oh man, I can't wait to hear what this one sounds live. And then you hear it live, and you're like, ooh, this does not sound as good as it could. Like, uh, like Free, for instance, on Billy Breathes. I do not like the way it sounds on Live in Brooklyn. Yeah, yeah, I can, I can, I can feel that. But yeah, I've been wanting to do a Fish Retro for years, but I'll never, I'll never be able to get Zach or Josh to, they're just not interested, you know. You yeah, gotta, Fish are not for, fish are very much not for everybody. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that is the truth. Uh, but it'll, it'll give me a, a chance to go back to a lot of, a lot of the albums that I haven't listened to all that much, um, like Farmhouse and Round Room and, uh, you know, that kind of wonky era right before they broke up. Yeah, yeah, I like... That that era of fish, I have I have a handful of them. I have I have round room and I have undermined and it's like And I bought I those at the fucking Dollar Tree uh like eleven, twelve years ago. I found undermined about a month ago at FYE for two dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Like <laughs> That's, which I think shows you how well that album is regarded. Yeah, like, most people, uh, I, I, would, I would, to me, it's the album before they broke up. Yeah, yeah, I think that, I think that's, I think that's how the band feel about it, too. <laughs> but yeah, so, you can find me at uh, The Rustic Reviewer on uh, YouTube, uh, like, uh, like I say every time, uh, my channel name, very much like Mystic Spiral, I've been thinking about changing the name, but I never actually do. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the, um, and you know where to find our shit, you know, it's Bloody Chuckle Studios on the YouTube, check out our Spotify, uh, Monster of the Family, uh, and Sticky Little Finger, um, you know, check out our Patreon, um, if you want. They're, they're gonna have a new album out pretty soon. Who? You. Oh, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. we're, uh, <laughs> Sticky Mill Fingers got a brand new album coming, and I've got a new album coming. Um, hopefully, uh, and also right now, uh, the, the next two albums that we're gonna be working on is sort of a sequel to the Christmas compilation. It's going to be a Halloween-themed compilation and a sequel to Cheddar Pawn. That, that, I'll be interested to hear all of those. 
<laughs> yeah, Zach has already... Especially the, Ch- especially the Cheddar Pond sequel. Yeah, we've always thought of, like, if we were to do a sequel, it would be it would be Vingar in the, uh, in the house, uh, you know, because he's no longer on Lillian's body. So now he's in this nasty, disgusting hoarder house, and he interacts with different, uh, other different rodents and parasites and pests. But, uh, Zach has already started writing, um, like, song titles and, uh, basic ideas, and, uh, I'm like, this shit right here, we could have never wrote this (laughs) back in 2008. But, uh, it's gonna be a whole lot of fun, man, a whole lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be excited to hear it, so, yeah, yeah, so, uh, lovely people in the audience, we will come back some other time, probably talking about this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's mine. We're, we're, we'll call it the fish fry. <laughs> <laughs> and you'll spell fry with P-H as well. With a P-H, yeah. <laughs> Oh my god. Well, alright, y'all. We hope you enjoyed the, uh, the Zappa cast. And, um, you know, we'll see you guys later.